The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Dr. Anthony Fauci is shooting down theories that the coronavirus was man-made. We're hearing the story. We are doing a very thorough examination. The next day, April 16th, a frustrated Collins emails Fauci, wondering if there's something NIH can do to help put down this very destructive conspiracy. A day later, Fauci replies, quote, I would not do anything about this right now. It is a shiny object that will go away in times. It's quite clear in this case that it came across through animals. Everything about the stepwise evolution over time strongly indicates that this virus evolved in nature and then jumped species. You still believe that? Lab- there are more and more organizations I, that point no, right I, to I, a lab leak. No, no, that's not so, Brad. No, I mean, there are more it people isn't. saying it. It's both, not so at all. here and around the... Well, when well, well, more people saying it doesn't mean there's more evidence. The U.S. Department of Energy has concluded that it most likely came from a lab leak and not from an infected animal. They said there was no evidence to support it. Well, now the FBI themselves confirmed. The FBI has for a quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. Our own government censored people and put pressure on social media outfits to to label this stuff misinformation. The stuff you were being told two years ago now, the things you couldn't say online two or three years ago, now there's evidence for that. Misinformation, that vaccinated immunity was far greater than natural immunity. Is the vaccine immunity better than the natural immunity from people who've had COVID? Yes, vaccine immunity is better than natural immunity. Yes, some immunity is to be expected following infection with COVID-19, but it's not likely to be greater than the amount you'd receive from vaccination. Vaccine-induced immunity is going to last longer than natural-induced immunity. Immunity against infection wanes pretty quickly, and it goes way, way down. There's a new study that looks at our body's immunity after getting COVID. The study says that natural immunity is as good or better than the mRNA jabs. That protection, according to the study, lasts for at least 10 months. Natural immunity, like they got COVID, um, they probably have better, like, not better, but more antibodies against the virus. I mean, well protected? Like as much as the vaccine? Probably more. You're protected most likely for longer since it was a natural response. Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together. Our organization is run on COVID money now. I still feel like I work for like an evil corporation. And buy up all the media and all the politicians. Public health officials were intellectually dishonest. They lied to the American people. And force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes. Who said uh, recently that the virus was under control? Yes. Is it? No, uh, it's not. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control. And people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. Two dose, third shot, fourth shot. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea? Being forced to do drugs? Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, 
a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Got a big show today. Lots to get into. Might be longer than I'm hoping for. But I wanted to go over some things that we've discussed a lot in the beginning of all of this that that. I mean, not even the the lab leak part of this, the way I framed the title today, hopefully you guys picked up on is, I mean, it's something we should consider all these possibilities we should ask, even those the the people out there in the wings that are going to call you a shill for asking questions. You should ask the anything that you, you know, could this be possible? Could that be possible? Is it possible this happened that they covered this up that they hid that? I mean, we should ask these questions, right? And then evidence matters. If you don't have evidence, then you should put it to the side until you have more and so on. But the, the lab leak part of this, I think, is very clearly being driven in at a point when I feel it's like a last resort. A point at which every and we've talked about the the relief valve, the the limited hangout kind of concept where uh, I forget the term we used before, but basically where you have the situation where people are aware JFK 9-11 and they go, OK, well, we're going to give them something that's true in a small way, you know, point one percent of the total. But tell them that's the majority of the conversation and hope that stops them from looking further. This and this isn't just a U.S. centric thing. This is just people in power controlling perceptions of those beneath them. It's it's a classic concept. And so what I believe that we're watching here is in is an effort to couch this. And this applies whether you think there are viruses, whether you think that any any narrative under the sun around this, it applies whether they want you to think, okay, well, this is just something that accidentally happened. However, you frame that. That's what that boils down to. It was a leak. It slipped out. And you could go, you could try to hold people accountable for their malfeasance, but it's always, as we've said many times on this show, they would always rather be seen as, as incompetent as opposed to being criminal. Clearly. Lab leak is the incompetent side. Bioweapon would be criminal, right? And that's how that game is played is they, if they, if they can couch it right there, that usually ends up being, you know, somebody gets thrown to the bus and they go, Oh, that was the guy that made the mistake. Think anthrax. And I'm suddenly blanking on the poor soul's name that got, that got hung around and it wasn't the real story. Right? So this is how we have to think about this and at least ask these questions. And I really made that point just a second ago, because it's important for those out there that are in rightly so asking questions around terrain germ, this conversation. And I, I do think that there's something to be asked and there's something to be fleshed out in that, which even that statement right there gets attacked by the people that want me to go all the way to the side that they've discussed. And I'm open to it. But the point is I have, I personally don't think it's all there just yet. And so the point is that we should be having this conversation, but in that conversation, you have things that stop this from going any further. And I kind of feel like that's intentional from a certain level. So the point about bioweapon does not have to be mutually exclusive to one conversation. I mean, the point is we see that these things happen. Uh, Bruce Ivins, some, excuse me, somebody in the chat, Anthony throws uh, Bruce Ivins in regard to anthrax. I feel like that's incorrect. I, I'm going to go ahead and say Bruce, Bruce Ivins since Anthony threw it in the chat. Something tells me that name was incorrect or maybe slightly different. Either way, thank you, Anthony, for throwing it out there. Bruce, the, the, the discussion of the gentleman who basically got accused of being responsible and it was basically a, a couched all that happened after anthrax i think is completely connected to exactly what we're talking about today in the way that they play these games the way that they pretend it's something that it's not i mean we've gone over this in depth many different times have good interviews with people that have written entire books on this but back back to the point about the lab leak in, in discussion to start the show today about how I think this is meant to be 
a way that they can leave it there where it's like, yes, it slipped out. And yes, we buried that story the entire time. And almost in a way that makes it seem more valid if this is the case to say, well, they hid it the entire time. It must be somewhat true. But think about the, the intro we just watched there in the context about, well, you know, in, in the Wuhan and China and the left right paradigm. Well, if they're the ones censoring this information, both the Trump administration, by the way, as much as we want to pretend that anything that happened around then wasn't Trump's fault. Anything that happens now is all Biden's fault. Like, I love how we split that apart. The point is that in both administrations, this stuff was being censored. They were hiding the reality. All of it ties back to both China and the United States, as well as other partners. And yet somehow we only are able to pin it on one in certain people's minds. I mean, it just seems all completely coordinated and manipulated. So I want to go through this today and talk about what we have recently heard from the Department of Energy, which is just to kind of make sure we know where we're starting from and go over a lot of the information around this and and ask ourselves whether or not with what we now know after all three years of this whole situation, if we can literally stand back and say, look, we know that the government was involved in this. We, and whether or not that is just actively covering up something that did, in fact, just slip out, which, by the way, is just as criminal, which then was used to manipulate you into taking injections. Same game, really. But even further, if they were willing to either leak this out, rather shouldn't use that term to be confusing, make this put this into the world for a some other use vaccines, whatever else, fear, or if it was designed this way and used against somebody. All these things, as you remember, right back in the beginning of the conversation was the first thing we were talking about. And it's still just as something, just as possible, just as valid. We should still be asking these questions. Personally, if you want me to just throw out my thought right in the beginning, I would lean more towards an act, a use, taking something to test or to achieve an end. These are all things they've done in the past including some of the very same people, both in Trump's administration and Biden's administration. So that's one of the big points I want to get into today. But we're going to start today with the Tennessee anti-trans bill, which may seem a little out of it, not disjointed from the stuff we're talking about today. But I think it's actually really important, not just because of the way that I feel this connects with these larger conversations we've had, but just the wholesale dishonesty from top to bottom. People are misrepresenting what this is for obvious political manipulation when it's as obvious. I mean, a, a comparison jumps into my mind when the bill was put forward. I think it was called the Stop Arming Terrorist Act. And you read this thing and it was as simple and as clear as you could possibly make it. It was just don't arm people that we know are. The, and most everybody voted it down. And there wasn't even some kind of argument. It just didn't get talked about. And the point is, it's such a clear example of this. I mean, th th it's so clear how these people have ulterior motives. And they if you watch what they do, their actions reveal who they truly are in almost every one of these situations. And in the idea of this anti-trans bill, it really comes down to not wanting children being around nudity, graphic content, adult cabaret is the term they use. And yet they're calling this an anti-trans bill, which doesn't even actually compute with what they're actually talking about. And why would that be possible? Why would they even go that far? Why would they be trying to allow children to be con in, in basically pushed into sexual content? There's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions, and I think we should listen to some of these things and ask whether or not there are weird things behind a lot of this, as we've covered in the past. We're also going to talk a lot about COVID-19 and Ohio and just Sit down today because it's going to be a long show. We're going to get into all of it. So let's start off today with this one bill. Or actually, technically, there's more than one, but the one I want to focus on. 
Now, this is from the Daily Mail. There's been a lot of stuff. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot. I put this in there to begin with because this is related. This is actually really disconcerting. But it's st- this, I'm, I'm, this is the precursor shows you the kind of mindset, whether dishonest or you know malicious or just completely lost, I don't know. But look at this. Harvard Medical School offers course about healthcare for LGBTQIA+. What I mean, it's, it's just, it, it continues to get more. And I'm, look, you know my stance on all this. I don't care what you want to do. But this whole thing is getting, I mean, it has been for a long time, as we all seem to agree, getting out of control. Unrepresented by, I mean, it's a small percentage of the population that is now being represented by an outsized amount of policy, which is, that's, that's politics, that's manipulation. First of all, let's just always, I want to point out, this letter stands for by, right? Am I confusing that with something else? Which implies that there are two genders. I just find that to be hilarious on the face. And I'm not trying to insult anybody. I really, I think people have the right to do what they want. It's, it's when you force it on somebody else. When you force it that we have to say certain things or act a certain way or pretend that it's, I have to be okay with forcing this on somebody's child or my child. That's where it crosses lines no matter what we're talking about. See, I also take issue with people that would go over the top of that and say that they just shouldn't be allowed to be this way or wear this thing. Well, that's the same thing in reverse. As long as there's not lines being crossed and we're forcing people to do certain things or the child situation, then we should allow people to do what they want with their own bodies, their own home. It's the same conversation we always have. All comes down to choice and and freedom, self-responsibility. But this, this, by the way, is just about trying to force this idea in at a point at which it cannot be denied. Children, infants, that can't speak, they can't offer up their own opinions, and yet we're being told by even places like Harvard Medical School that these ch- these infants are somehow able to relay to their parents or whoever they're talking to that they know already that they're trans. Think about how broken that is. To tell us that they know that this infant is somehow trans, and then if we say, well, that's not true, you're now a racist, you're a bigot. You're, I mean, this is getting dangerous. I mean, again, getting, it's dangerous. It's already dangerous. Now, of course, okay, good, I was going to say I lost some of these highlighting here. In this context, it says, care for infants refers specifically to physical variations in sex development that arise in utero and are present at birth. Physical variations in sex development... Like the idea that this is something that's already like physically happening. I don't even know. I don't even think that aligns with the political standing of this conversation. But it says this include these include chromosome, chromosomal, gonadal and anatomical variations, all of which are relevant to medical care and treatment to ensure healthy development. Like as if we're supposed to pretend what. So are, are we suggesting that these infants we're never up in, in the history of our society ever getting proper care until we under some. I mean, I don't. I I think I don't even need to express how this is outside the realm of of sanity, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm not talking about trans as a whole or people that believe that that they should go through this transition. I'm talking about the people that are pushing this to the point to where they're telling you your child is this, and you don't get to push back against that. Now, look, I, you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm sorry if I offend somebody because I'm not saying something offensive. At this point, I'm pointing out the problem, and, and you could say I'm wrong, but I, the only time I would say I'm sorry in this case is if people, like, if I, well, I mean, the, the point of which a trans person was being told they didn't get to make their own personal choices, and I won't cross that line because I will always stand on that. 
In October 2022, the Boston Children's Hospital, which is affiliated with the Harvard program, suggested some babies know they are transgender from the womb. I just don't understand how you can even stand on that argument. Harvard Medical School? How, first of all, how do you know that? Nothing physiologically is different. This is, this, this is a male or a female infant. By everything we've always known, but somehow now we're able to tell that they know not just that we know, but tell that they know that they're transgender. How then does the baby know that? How is a baby who's ba who doesn't even understand the concepts outside of the womb that they know somehow these complex concepts of transgender? I mean, this is just so far outside the room. This is a step into wild, outrageous, on-the-surface insanity. Now, I mean, you could say that to other things from before this, but this is a step too far. I mean, again, every time I say that, I'm like, well, we're already there. But it says, in a now-deleted video, the Boston Children's Hospital suggested an even larger number of minors know as soon as they can talk. Now, the womb is, one, is, is the most ridiculous example. But let's just even say these children who can't even talk yet, so they can't communicate. So all they can really say is images, sensations, fine. And you're going to tell me that that infant who can't speak knows and understands the differences of gender and then that they're now trans and understands that before they can even speak. This is this is wrong. No matter how you spin this, no matter what you think, I don't care if you're the biggest transgender advocate in the world, this is inappropriate. There's no way they could possibly know this, and they're taking this, I would argue, a step too far for even the people that support this movement. The hospital also faces claims it rushed under-18s into life-altering sex change surgery. Now, the idea that anybody under the age of 18 can make these choices, and I'm not saying that you there's not variations or, or, you know, situations where people under 18 might be able to make certain choices. There's always caveats. There's always special circumstances. But regard that doesn't mean they get to make those decisions. I'm just saying that you may have a 17-year-old that just by virtue of being, you know, growing up in a different place might be more intelligent about their choices. But that doesn't mean that they get to make that decision for them. The bottom line is, if we have an under 18 who's not allowed to drive a car, or rather uh, join the military, drink alcohol, or make other life-altering choices, but you're going to tell them they can make a choice they can't take back. Obviously, obviously that's across the line. But they're doing this. And now, and there's a huge example of children that are under 18, far younger, by the way, that have huge problems because of things like this going forward. And even if you don't think that that's all the time, you know it's happened some of the time. And so that means that we know that the politicization of this, politicization, how it continues to be politicized, I can't say that for some reason today, politicized, that means, by default, there will be some level, some amount that will be politically driven to do it. Not because they want to, but because they think it's the cool thing to do. Now, if you can't admit that out there listening, that even if it's 1%, then you're lying about all of this. Because no matter what conversation we're talking about, that applies. So if it applies, which we, it's a default in any situation, then you cannot allow these kind of choices for kids that might be able to might make a choice they can't come back from. It's just, it's beyond the pale as far as I'm concerned. Now this says, she says, so most of the patients we have in the clinic already are actually know their gender, usually around the age of puberty. Quote, but a good portion of children do know as early as seemingly from the womb. This is a doctor from Boston's hospital. Quote, and they usually express their gender identity as very young children. Now, how exactly do they know what they're expressing? Right. I mean, so, I mean, actually, their example here is almost almost comical. 
It says some as soon as they can talk. Kids know very, very early. But it says here, it comes as several states begin to clamp down on puberty blockers being prescribed to children. Right. And that's um, apparently anti-trans to do the same thing, the same logic we've always understood in regard to capacity to consent or anything we're talking about. That children aren't at the level to understand the choices they're making. But suddenly, because this got politicized, then, it, then this one is different, though. Or the vaccine. That one, we're allowed to, but we they're not allowed to say no to it, but they're allowed to say yes to it. That's a real discussion in regard to the vaccine. So here we have people in politics saying, well, no, we, we don't want children who can't understand these choices. Even if you think that they know what they want at that point, they have to wait till they're 18, just like anything else we talk about. But that's being labeled as anti whatever they want to label it that day. Trans, drag queen, whatever. Now, it says it also states that a person usually knows that they're transgender from a young age, especially when the feelings are persistent. Great. So now if you feel a certain way long enough, then that's that's what you I mean, I just think it's a crazy we can see or understand all of our childhood memories. You know, you wanted to be a superhero. You want to be a fireman, a policeman. And we all know how this is fluid. Not in the sense they use it as, but the point is that you change as you grow. And the point is that this is now being pointed at and saying, well, they know because they say it over and over and over. Okay, what happens when you say that they want to jump off the roof and fly? The po- it's, it's, they'll say that's ridiculous. The point is it's the same concept. They're a child. The guide goes on to say that toddler's gender identity is very fluid as boys like to play dress and girls like to play with trucks. So now we're pointing at the, the personal choices. So if they wear a boy's shirt, suddenly they want to be a boy. Like that's just as they're choosing to apply those things as they see fit. And so the point up here saying that they know very, very young is ultimately them just applying the lens that they see through. So you have adults who are applying the way they see the world on children that don't even understand it. And they grow up into that and that becomes the worldview. This is the same thing we see anywhere else. So this is just, and again, the main point simply is pretending that these Infants in the womb understand this. So what's to stop them from starting this as a parent, some kind of hormone alteration, before they even are able to speak? That's really where we're going with this, guys. That is just obscenely wrong. Now, this brings us to the point about the bill in Tennessee. Tennessee becomes the first state, according to CNN, in 2023 to restrict drag performances. Is that what happened? Well, according to this high-level CNN journalistic outlet, except that's completely wrong. And they're probably knowingly, blatantly lying about this because it has nothing to do, well, I shouldn't say nothing, but it's not about drag performances, guys. It is about nudity. It's about sexual content. Now, look, you know me in the context of these of the political conversation. Two-party two illusion. I don't side with any of these two-party sides in any way. And, and you could, I could point at the, the, the governors involved with this bill and point out a thousand examples of how they would lie to you, how they're manipulating you about war, about COVID. It doesn't matter when you just reading the actual bill. It's very obvious what this is about. Now, first, let's look at what CNN is saying. Republican Governor Bill Lee signed a bill into law Thursday afternoon that will restrict public drag show performances. Now, you could say that's not inaccurate, seeing as how it's if, if it's a drag show with nudity and sexual gyration. Well, then, yeah, that would apply. But if it's a drag queen sitting in a kindergarten reading a book, plenty of people are not OK with that. But that's not what this is about. This is, that's just a person in, 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 in dress up reading a book. Now, if that person stands up and starts sexually shaking around and being half naked, well, yeah, that becomes a problem. You see, but they really want to make this about trans drag queens, like as if these people, which by the way, there are some of them out there who also support this bill because they do hate these people for 
unknown reasons, whatever they want to decide. Those do exist. But at the core, this bill is being misrepresented as something that it's not for politics. It says the state Senate passed the bill earlier Thursday along party lines to limit adult cabaret performances. Exactly. That's what we're talking about. I'll show you what that means on public property so as to shield them from the view of children threatening violators with a misdemeanor, repeated offenders with a felony. The bill, which the Tennessee House passed last week, defines an adult cabaret performance, which at least I'm surprised that they even put this in as performance, quote, that features topless dancers. okay, go-go dancers, exotic dancers, stripper. I mean, these are all basically just some words for stripper, male or female impersonators. What see, this is where they're playing with it right there, who provide entertainment that appeals to uh, uh, let's see what I actually didn't read that. All, but what is that? Poriant having or encouraging an excessive interest in sexual matters. Right. Okay. So sexual interest. <laughs> okay. Or similar interest. So basically CNN just made it clear. It stops people who are topless dancers or some variation of stripper sexualized content. That's what, that's what even, even CNN's own stated definition just said that. And I just find it kind of insulting that they would pretend that that's not, I mean, that's what they just wrote. Now it says Republicans hold super majorities. Uh, I, this was highlighted. The Tennessee measure is the first of nearly a dozen bills present presently working through GOP state legislators. Great. If they're the same concept, then there's no reason we should have a problem with that. Republicans say the performances, performances expose children to sexual themes and imagery that are inappropriate. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. Now, they'll try to conflate that with any other. I mean, if they're I've got to be quite honest, I personally have not seen a drag queen story time that's not overtly sexual. But maybe that's just because the ones we see are the ones that are and the ones in some benign place where it's just a woman with a, or a man with a dress or a dress and a, a wig on. Well, we probably don't see those because that's not overtly offensive, except for some people that maybe just have a, 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 a you know bigoted perspective against people that are gay or are trans. The bottom line, though, is that even CNN makes it clear that that's what we're talking about, exposing them to inappropriate content. But it says a claim rejected by advocates. I mean, it, what do you mean rejected by them? Who say the proposed measures are discriminatory against L LGBTQ communities? How? And could violate the First Amendment? I said, they're trying to play this back at you. The bottom line is no one's trying to say you can't wear a wig and read to children. They're trying to say you can't do that and then be sexualized in every possible way and jump around, wear your underwear and do this in front of children or rather have them come to sexualized places like where they dance or have it be, you know, 9 p.m. at night at a bar where they're dancing on stage. These are not appropriate. But see, they want to say, well, advocates are okay with that apparently and they want to lie and just say it's not what it's about well that's very suspicious as transgender issues and drag culture are increasingly becoming more mainstream such shows which often feature men dressing as women in exaggerated makeup while singing or entertaining a crowd through some though some shows feature body or content yeah way to downplay the reality now look this is the cut they're conflating this the bill i'll show you next has nothing to do with anything other than the nudity and sexualized content but it's saying have occasionally been the target of attacks and the LGBTQ advocates. Oh, are they racist? They left off the I and the T and the plus say the bills under construct uh, consideration add to a heightened state of alarm for the community. Uh, let's see. Uh, it says for Claire. And, and this is, I mean, again, even CNN, which they seemingly haven't done in the past, cited what they said in response for clarification. This bill is not targeting any group of people. 
It does. It's not. I'll show you the bill itself. I guess they can't read the people that are saying that it does not ban drag shows in public. See, even they're saying that out loud, even though I can promise you plenty of Republicans want that to be the case. Or probably some Democrats, too. But the bottom line is that's not what it's about. It's not banning drag shows in public. It simply puts age restrictions in place to ensure that children are not at present at sexually explicit performances. You notice he didn't just say not present at drag shows. He said explicit performances. Ahead of the bill signing, Lee faced accusations of hypocrisy. Get this. After some apparently anonymous play, let's think government bot or whatever else like these. This is clearly an executed attack. Somebody's dug up some old photo from 1977 of this governor in a woman's clothing and, and some kind of basically it was one of these old things. Everybody's done this in the past where the women were dressed like men and the men were dressed like women. I mean, I'll tell you right now, you want to have some I'm somewhere out there in the Twitterverse or rather the Internet, the the. I'm trying to think of a funny word for it. Anyway, out there on the internet, you'll find pictures of me in Hawaii where we did the same thing. There was a huge party. Women went in tuxedos and we went in dresses because it's fun. It was a game. The bottom line is to show that and make this case about him is just absurd. What are you trying to point out? That he's a hypocrite for saying children shouldn't be around sexual content because he wore a dress one time when it was for fun and it was about some kind of swap thing? Like, you know, what's the, what's the old uh, party uh I can't remember the names of these parties. Anyway, you know, we have women come in scantily dressed clothing and men go. There's all these themed parties. We all know about this stuff, especially in colleges. <laughs> anyway, they go out of their way to make this a big point. And I'd love to find out who this unidentified Reddit user was, <laughs> clearly. But it says CNN has been unable to verify the photo. But let's talk about it, though. Great journalism. At a news conference on Monday, the GOP governor ignored the question about this and just pushed back, saying, what a ridiculous question. Conflating something like that to sexualized entertainment in front of children, which is very serious. Checkmate. I mean, there's just no win. If, if he is doing this well, that doesn't, that's not even remotely saying I agree with everything he has to say. And again, even Daily B said the bill specifically protects, cho- protects children from obscene sexualized entertainment. I mean, think about the kind of person it takes to go so far as to just knowingly misrepresent this and make it about something it's not when they're very clearly stating what it's about. <laughs> Somebody's, someone's gonna find the picture find it it's out there somewhere i must have been i think it was on the old myspace <laughs> from forever ago but it's just a picture of a bunch of women dressed like men and men dressed like fake wigs and whatever else it's just you know it's just funny that that people would love to misrepresent things like that especially with what's going on today but here is the tennessee generally general assembly now you got the house you got the senate uh house nine senate three these are these are the the uh bills governor's already signed the senate bill now, here are the, the it's just the same thing. And it's, this is exactly what it says. And you you go through and read this for yourself. This is just a summary, obviously, but this is the point. And in, as introduced, creates an offense for a person who engages in an adult cabaret performance. But note, they don't even say just cabaret performance, an adult cabaret performance. We all know what this is on public property or in a location where the adult cabaret performance could be viewed by a person who's not an adult. Now, if this just if you just took out adult cabaret and just said, you know, strippers, <laughs> naked content, everybody would agree. But this is being politicized. And it's the same thing here. Now, here is what an adult cabaret definition is. Many different versions. And again, the first simplest one is simply a nightclub, bar, restaurant, or similar commercial establishment, which regularly features. And it goes on to say, it's all the same kind of things. The point is, all of that's clear. You're talking about a bar. I mean, even just if it's not even a, just a bar. A bar at 9 p.m. Or do we pretend it's okay for children to wander into a bar at night? 
apparently only when there's drag queen doing sexual content, because that makes sense, right? But the point is, it, the reality of it is it makes it very clear. It is about uh, people, it, which regularly features persons who appear semi-nude. All of this, though, is adult content. That's the reality. None of this is about drag queens only or trans people only. So it's inherently dishonest the way they're framing this. Here's the actual bill. You can read the entirety for yourself. Adult cabaret performance means a performance at a location other than an adult cabaret that features topless dancers, go-go dancers, exotic dancers, strippers, male, female impersonators who provide entertainment that appeals to a, 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 sexual, a sexualized interest or similar entertainers, regardless of whether or not performed for, con, uh, for consideration. I mean, that's as simple as it gets. Think about the kind of people that are pushing this kind of stuff. The idea that it's not exactly what it looks like and that we somehow are offensive for not allowing this kind of overt manipulation. Now, here is an interesting take on this. This is the new, the new John Stewart, you know, totally was a comedian, not a comedian, you know, that game we were just talking about, right? Clearly, this is what he always was. That's why he's just coming out full steam with his new John Stewart show. But this is the engagement you get, and this all feels fake to me. Now, not, I mean, bottom line is, the way we just went through this, why wouldn't he say the same thing? Now, again, given I haven't watched the entirety of the thing, I did watch some of it, but the point is that ultimately, the main point should be incessantly repeated. It's about sexualized content with children, period. But watch the way he engages with this. And I think, interestingly enough, like, Think, think of it from a PSYOP perspective, right? That, that these in, people in the government, these individual congressmen on all sides are all ultimately working in the same direction, you know, just for sake of conversation. This is how it would go if that was the case, right? Because he's not getting into the real point, but allowing it to seem as if John has the point over him because it only comes down to drag shows. It, he obviously knows that's not what it's about, so why would he engage with it like this? Ban drag show readings to children. No. Right. I mean, immediately. Nope. Not incorrect, John. Why? Yes. Why? 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 What are you protecting? You see why? OK, right there. He just lost the argument because obviously that's not what's happening right now. But at the end of the day, this person or you could argue does feel that way, that it's only about that drag queens are bad. But I mean, at the end of the day, isn't that just the same as saying that gay people are bad or this is bad? At the end of the day, you are putting yourself in a position that's going to be used against you when you have a perfectly valid argument about the nude content in front of children, right? Now, I'm, the point is, yes, some people do have the opinion that they just shouldn't be allowed to exist. And you may think that's the case. I disagree. I think people have a right to do what they want with their own body. That's called freedom. But the way he responds with this just seems like it's meant to make it look like we're being racist or bigoted by simply pointing out that this is inappropriate. Why can we prohibit children from voting, those under 18 from voting? Why are you banning, that? Is, is that free speech? Are you infringing on that performer's free speech? Yes, it, yes, if we're just talking about a drag queen reading a book in some public location, but that's not what we're talking about. You see, now this gets pointed at by people that are going to act like this was the mic drop. It's over. Oh yeah, free speech, you hypocrites. Right. What's funny, though, is the same people that say that are the same people that will pretend the free speech doesn't matter in the context of hate speech and whatever else. The bottom line is it comes down to the sexual content. There's no free speech to over, to strip nude in front of a child. That's not what we're talking about. They can continue to exercise their free speech, just not in front of a child. Why? Because but see, he just lost the argument again. I mean, I, I could belabor the point, but you can't pretend. You, they, they, if, so now suddenly you're making limitations on speech. 
You see, this is this is not I, this feels intentional because the government does have a responsibility to protect. I'm sorry. The government does have a responsibility uh-huh. in certain instances. To What's protect the children? leading cause of death amongst children in this country? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not drag show readings to children. Correct. Right. OK, so now just to make a, a, a partisan mic drop moment, we're going to conf- we're going to just conflate this with gun. Like the bottom line is we're not talking about some kind of violent or essentially could go that direction. We're not talking about some kind of violent threat. We're talking about manipulation of children. In its own right, a different crime all ent- entirely. But you're going to conflate that with gun violence like these people are trying to break the game. They want us to hate each other. They want this to collapse. This infuriates me. And guess what doesn't stop? Children being abused, both by people like this, as well as the governments themselves. You want to find out who where the most trafficking takes place from? The highest rate, ultimately, of, like, basically, to sum it up the best way, take a look at the Child Protective Services, or rather just those systems across the country, different names where you are, and realize that even their own reports show that the a high, outrageous percentage of people in the trafficking industry come directly from foster care and those systems. I mean, they know this problem. Now, you could argue it's just because of X, Y, and Z, or you could realize that there's some kind of a pipeline there that overlaps with exactly what we talked about, about the Epstein conversation. And by the way, we've proven this stuff in the past. They've been caught for stuff like this. But I guess those were just bad apples, right? But this is another video. To make one last point before we go into the, the uh, Ohio conversation, An Arizona school board member wearing cat ears during a meeting says the district should reject hiring teachers with Christian values. Okay, so let's take this in a different direction. So, okay, apparently we're, you know, if pretending that that not wanting children in front of sexualized content is somehow bigoted, we're apparently bigots for saying this because we don't want to allow. Okay, fine. And, And but they're the open minded ones that allow all things except this. Right. So these are people standing up and saying, well, because Christian values argue that LGBTQ is inappropriate. Therefore, you're not allowed to be in this. We can't have this content. We can't discuss the religion. Like, think about how the overstep here in regard to any like, first of all, in any school discussion, we shouldn't be talking about religion or sexual orientation. Like the idea that these things are completely um, and we're talking about kids here. The idea that these teachers think they have the right to step in and try to educate your children on their sexual beliefs is wildly inappropriate. Now, when I'm talking about educating people's kids on biology, I'm talking about the idea that somehow it's normalized today to be educating them on these sexual preferences when they're toddlers, when they're in elementary school, when they're in junior high. But this person is now saying that what they're doing is okay, but nobody's allowed to say something else in the context of Christian values which we all understand, whether it's Christian or any other variation of religion, where they argue that something like this, man and a woman, that's that's the appropriate relationship. Why can't we just go, well, I disagree. Apparently, it's not okay. So think about the accepting mindset they tried to push, except this is the kind of thing we hear. And I find this to be offensive. I'm a Christian. I find it offensive that they would even stand up and try to pretend that one's allowed, not the other. While one has been something that's been inherently established in these in these settings for as long as you can look back. But you get my point. Actually, I think that um, I forgot to include this one. Hold on. Let's see. There it is. Okay, I'm going to start with our values first. Our Apparently, everybody there has the same values. Right. No, she's talking about her values. 
And of course, that just is the everybody's values, because if you pretend you don't have the same values as one of these rabid, you know, wildly, the wildly politically motivated people in this sphere, then you're you're a bad person, apparently. Right. That's the whole idea. Like the, the, the extent of saying that if you're a a, you know, a man and you don't li- if you wouldn't date a trans woman, I believe that's the right term. I forget, you know, whatever, a man that became a woman that apparently you're a bigot. Like, so they're now dictating what your sexual preferences are because, you know, in some cases, like this is the kind of rabid mindset we've seen. And I'm not saying that's everybody. I know plenty of people that even in our community that are trans people that are amazing people that care about what's going on today. They just they, they just they don't push their mindset like it's the same idea as anything else. I don't get up and push my sexual preferences on my show and tell people that they need to believe what I think or you're a bigot. It's the same game. And we know this. The real question, as we finish this with this last video, is what's behind this? Where is this being driven from? Because obviously this is, not re- this is not organic. It's just not. And I think everybody's beginning to see that, including people in the trans community. Our vision in Washington Elementary School District is committed to achieving excellence for every child, every day, every opportunity except the christians every child when i go to arizona christian university's website okay a christian school great so now she's saying a school that advertises that they are a christian school in their own area they're not allowed to do it in their area you see how dangerous this gets that so it's the idea that she can step over there and say that's what they're like. So you don't have to go to the Christian school, you see. And this is the game that gets played: is it has to get it's it's the opposite of open minded. Like this is literally the shutting down of other opinions. And I'm taking this directly from their website. Above all else, be committed to Jesus Christ, accomplishing His will and advancing His kingdom on earth as in heaven part of their values is influence engage and transform the culture with truth by promoting the biblically informed values that are foundational to western civilization including the centrality of family traditional sexual morality and lifelong marriage between one man and one woman Right. So it's very obvious that they don't think that's okay. Right. So you're not allowed to have that opinion. Is that clear? Why is that exactly? It's, I mean, we're, we're acting like there's, you know, you're creating all these new concepts and forcing people to think that's okay, but you're not allowed to have your own personal outlook on the world or out, have your religion influence these things, let alone have a school where you have to choose to go to that practices those things. Nope. Not allowed. I want to know how bringing people from an institution that is ingrained in their values that will very directly, one, impact three of your board members. Ah, and there's your issue. That there's three board members that take issue with this personally. So this is a crusade against a Christian school for being a Christian school. Simple. Who are a part of the LGBTQ community we have added our pronouns at the dais as a solid as a a solidarity to let our lgbt community know 
Right. And also take note of this person has no idea what they're talking about. She can barely speak in 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 correct sentences. Like, I mean, listen to the whole thing over again. I wasn't going to say the last part's the worst. I mean, she's this is a person who was in an administrator to school and she can barely speak English properly. Bad grammar, misuse of words. And look, if, if this was, it's a teacher, so I have every right to point that out. I would anyway, to be quite honest. But she's a she's a, not a teacher, but in in a, in the education system, and you're standing there trying to push these ideas on a Christian school, and cha- but you can't even you're you're involved with education, and you can't even speak proper sentences, correct proper grammar. I mean, it's just it's it's like seeing all these leaders of the health community around the world that are three hundred pounds. I mean, it's it's insulting that we stand in making sure that they feel protected? Are we only performing performative solidarity or are we going to dig deep and actually look at the partnerships that we're doing? The partnerships that we're doing. Are you performing a performative? I mean, it's just this this woman is not very bright. Because if we're bringing people in whose mission, who have been told Jesus. With their institution of education, that very, very plainly. It's just rough, man. I mean, this it's just it's it's impossible. It's a it's a it's a bleak outlook right now for the people in. in I mean, because you have to understand the schooling system. A lot of this stuff is, is very, very slanted one way. And that's a problem with this direction. Like if I had children right now, the last thing I would want to do is put them in the education system. I mean, it's I mean, for long before this. But in any case, guys, this is important because I feel that this is being used in a way that is far more important than just about this discussion. We've talked about the overlap with the transhumanist direction, which is a a key part of where this is all going. And whether this just opens that door to being, you know, the, the normalization of exactly what Klaus Schwab and everybody else is pushing. And you can think that's crazy all you want. You all, if you're one of those people saying that's ridiculous, you probably also thought everything else about COVID was ridiculous until it later came to pass. The bottom line is there is something to this. And this is wildly overrepresented. Why? What is happening here and what's the motive? Because this is not appropriate. And I truly do think there's a level of, you know, I mean, look, we, we talked about the Epstein conversation and the idea before all that came out, that was a wild, ridiculous tinfoil hat conspiracy until it wasn't. And then you realize, whoa, this was a CIA Mossad connected sexual blackmail network. Yeah, that's the story, guys. And that ties directly back to very high level entities all around. And that was one part of it. But it's over now, right? Because he didn't kill himself. I mean, the point is, even if that happened exactly the way they said it, there's a whole network out there that didn't miss a beat. Worries me about where this seems to be going. But let's talk Ohio. I do think this is important to follow up on. Now, the last one we talked about, the last show we did on this concept was EPA orders dioxin tests one month after disaster. We saw that Ohio parks had animals that were being reported die all over these different parks in Ohio. The labor union workers for the railroad were being reported that dying ill, nausea, headaches all around the area. So, I mean, there, there no point can we be standing back and just dismissing that this is all not happening. There, I mean, there is an endless amount of reports. Now, yeah, some of them could be psychosomatic. Some of them could be lying, like always. But the amount of information that's come out shows you there is a problem. And yes, there has actually been independent testing that has found, I mean, and by the way, this was the end of February for crying out loud. If you haven't heard about this on corporate media or independent, ask yourself why. 
I unfortunately have been dealing with a lot of stuff behind the scenes and haven't been able to, I mean, I'll, you know what? <laughs> just shoot. I forgot two things I wanted to say in the beginning, but anyway, I guess I'll just say it really quickly. The point being is that I have, I'm planning and I'm, I'm going to get back to, and I said this recently actually, but if five days a week, I, I'm determined to get that back consistently. There's been a lot going on. I'm doing my best to keep the show going as much as possible. But it, you know, it's just that when there's life going on in the background, it becomes more and more difficult. But I'm 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 back at it, and I feel very focused. And I'm going to make sure we're getting as many as possible. You know, to the point of five or more a week is really what I want to do. On that note, what I was going to say in the beginning was that I on I'm I'm going to say it again on future shows. But on March 20th. We're going to be doing a T-Lab kind of telethon fundraiser where everybody in T-Lab is going to be there kind of coming and going for the most part. Everyone's already committed. Whitney, Derek, Robert, Taylor, Matt, Aaron, everyone's going to be coming. Scott's going to be there with me. We're going to be man on the desk. It's going to be really fun. We're going to have a lot of different, you know, surprise guests popping by. A lot of big people out there have reached out to say, yeah, we'll stop by. And it'll be basically just raising funds for T-Lab as we go forward. So keep an eye out for that. I'll be talking about it more. But this, this guy's just, it's, is such an important conversation, not just because of the accident. I mean, look, there's a lot of people questioning, you know, whether the entire thing, you know, we're being, it's a hoax. The whole thing is happening. Sure. We should ask those questions, but with all the evidence we have of, 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 I mean, I personally on the record, which I I've played on the show spoke to executive director, Teresa McGuire of the Columbiana humane society, where they have tests confirming poisoning of these animals. And, 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 and I mean, reports going as far as, uh, uh, what was it, two hours away? I mean, guys, that's 100 plus miles away. That's incredible. And but all the things we confirmed, yet they told people to come back right away. They've been telling you it's safe, even the air, up until it, the last time I looked. So let's go forward on what we've seen since then. Now, first of all, just after the big storm that just happened. This is from River Valley, River Valley Organizing, but this was everywhere. Their organizer, uh, basically in East Palestine, the dam that was constructed to hold back the toxic waste, which clearly was really, really well done, broke after the heavy rain. And now the area is flooding, mixing with the toxic water, which, by the way, is very clearly considered problems or a problem. Safe, safe homes and independent testing now. So the point is, yet again, either just wild incompetence or just the design to let this be continually being more, become more of a problem. I don't know. But that it's just mind-blowing to me, just to see, just so you know where this has been going. But here we're going to start with the pickup on really the kind of intermittent cleanup, which has been a really strange discussion. The bottom line is that the EPA... I mean, just on the surface, like, let's just say this is everything they're saying is exactly what it was. And I know that's not the truth, but just for sake of conversation on the surface of this conversation, it proves the EPA is just completely inept, either completely co-opted or wildly incompetent because they were there in the beginning. As Biden told us two hours, everybody was there. Everybody, everybody involved with rail and cleanup. Biden himself said it and they've admitted to themselves. They were there on the ground but yet weren't involved somehow with the decision, the main primary decision which created the problem to burn this, dump it on the ground and burn the vinyl chloride, which created the issue by and large, as far as I can tell. The, both of those, the dumping directly on the ground and then burning it. But then we have the conversation about the cleanup, right? Where after three weeks, they step and go, well, now we order you to clean it. Okay, was that even necessary? Did you have to demand they pay for something that they were responsible for? Apparently. But on top of that, then they apparently stood back again and let Norfolk Southern com 
commence the shipment of this stuff to other states, you know, before they've tested for dioxins or many other things that are a problem, because that perfectly makes sense, right? Protection agency, clearly. Then, then, once it had gone to inappropriate locations in Michigan and different places, they, whoa, wait a minute, pause, pause, everybody stop what you're doing and bring it back to Ohio. Doesn't that just scream competence? Okay, so now they brought it back. Meanwhile, all this has still been sitting there. They then apparently contaminated areas back and forth across this because they didn't even know what they were shipping, or rather they did and didn't want you to know about it. Now, apparently, as of the 27th, rather, but going into March, EPAs to resume the waste cleanup. So let's first start back, you know, end of February where they're resuming this. Now it says the United States EPA has announced the cleanup and removal of hazardous waste from Pal- East Palestine, Ohio site where Norfolk Southern train, you know, the obvious disaster will resume on Monday following a brief pause. So Monday, essentially we're talking where were we on the 27th? You know, just the beginning of March. On Tuesday, February 21st, the EPA legally ordered Norfolk Southern to conduct all necessary actions. Again, did they, why wouldn't that have been the first day? Right? Why wouldn't the EPA say, obviously, you have to do all the things you're supposed to do? And, and then secondly, why do they even need to say that? But whatever, apparently it's just this big show, but we're doing what we're supposed to. And now I order you after 20 days, 20, 22 days. It's just, or rather, no, it, it would ni- eight, 19 days. How stupid. But anyway, that's what they did. As, and it says, as previously reported, and it says in response, Norfolk Southern had chosen to contract with licensed hazardous waste treatments and disposal facilities in Texas and Michigan. Apparently, which the EPA didn't care, wasn't involved, and didn't check. Because, you know, protection agency, right? Then, after it already commenced and after it already shipped to multiple locations, then they said, whoa, hold on. Stop that. Don't do that. Halt halt any additional, it says, uh, stop so that, quote, additional oversight measures could be put in place to supervise where Norfolk Southern disposes of the contaminated materials. Right? Does that just, I mean, do I even need to make a joke? I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. So this is a highly serious disaster, which with whether we're talking about dioxins or not, everyone's concerned about the danger of the material they're shipping. That's why it's being dealt with. Right. But before it starts to move across state lines, the EPA didn't do anything. They didn't step in. They didn't talk to them. They didn't ask. They just started. And then after it had been done, they go, whoa, wait, now, now we're going to step in and put some additional oversight measures to make sure that you're even taking it to the right places. I mean, guys, that either is just outrageous incompetence or this is a game that's being played to hide what's happening. On Sunday, Region 5 Administrator Deborah Shore announced that cleanup of hazardous waste at the derailment site will resume. However, will be transported to different EPA-certified facilities than the ones Norfolk Southern originally contracted. How else do you take that but that it wasn't appropriate? Think about that. So what happened then? Why would they take them to sites where it wasn't supposed to go or weren't certified to do so? Or why would they take them to sites that historically had clear records of inco- of Basically, the kind of place you'd go if you want this to be dealt with the way you want it to be dealt with. Groups that have been caught for lying, caught for leaking things out or disposing of things inappropriately, and yet they still do it. We just reported that. So either the EPA got wind of that and nobody's being told what actually went down and said, no, 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 go to the ones we want you to go to. And why didn't happen to begin with, you could ask yourself. Or there's something around this that this, this is all, all of it's being manipulated. I don't know. But the fact that they stepped in and are now redirecting them to EPA-certified sites when that obviously should have been the first way to go, something's happening here. 
And it could just literally be incompetence, but something tells me it's more than that. Liquid waste from the derailment site will now be taken to Victory, Ohio, while solid waste will be taken to a facility in East Liverpool, Ohio, which before it was Texas and Michigan, both of them crossing state lines and potentially contaminating all along the way. Quote, at EPA, we have decades of experience dealing with hazardous waste, both from cleanup contaminated sites to regulating the landfills where it's disposed of. And we know it's far better to have a safely stored, have it safely stored in a properly constructed and monitored disposal facility than remain here longer than necessary. Duh. I mean, really? Like, we're experts and we know that bad things are bad and we don't want bad things here because they're bad because we're experts. I mean, just think about what a dumb statement that is. So we're experts and we know that we'd rather not have it in our backyard. It's like, they're just, it seems like they just want you to go, we agree with you because nobody agrees with anything that they're doing right now. It says prior to the EPA's decision to halt removal of hazardous waste from the derailment site, Norfolk Southern had already hauled away 20 truckloads, you know, protection agency, approximately 280 tons of contaminated, not potentially of contaminated soil and water of hazardous soil waste, which included contaminated soil to the licensed hazardous waste treatment and disposal facilities in Michigan. Except the problem was, as this site doesn't report, that the Michigan site was a problem, that the EPA said, no, they're not a pro. And even the Michigan, Michigan itself actually spoke up, a Democrat, mind you. Gretchen Whitmer spoke up and said, you can't bring that here. Clearly, everybody's not on the same page. Five truckloads of contaminated soil have since been returned to East Palestine. Because that makes sense. Not only did it get shipped away, in the that's just the, everything they're doing is increasing the potential contamination here. Where about 102,000 gallons of liquid waste, 4,500 yards of solid waste remain in storage, still in East Palestine. As the cleanup process progresses, more liquid and solid waste will be generated. The 15 truckloads of contaminated soil had already been disposed of at the licensed hazardous waste treatment and disposal facility in Michigan prior to the EPA's order. How does that make sense? I mean, th- how, so, oh, well, I, actually, I, I think I read it wrong the first time. So we're talking about, this is the 15 trucks. We're talking about 20 truckloads. Yeah, okay. So 15 of them eventually did. So here's the question. If the EPA had a problem with that, to the point to where they literally stopped them in mid-process and had them ship it all the way back to Ohio, and now they're using different locations. What happened in Michigan? 15 truck car, truckloads of very dangerous material was dealt with in a way that clearly the EPA didn't want to be done that way. So what's going on there? And was, what happened? Is Michigan now a problem? I mean, these are things we should ask. The, the, the lack of transparency is, a, is staggering. In addition, all liquid waste that has already been hauled out of East Palestine will be disposed of at, the li- at licensed hazardous waste treatments and disposal facilities in Texas. Same thing. But no additional waste will be sent to Texas or Michigan. Something very fishy. Now, here is what we're seeing as of today. March 7th. Headaches, coughing, burning of the skin, symptoms Ohio residents have experienced after toxic train derailment. They're still telling people right now that there's nothing wrong with the air. Now, they could be right. But what's going on then? It's the same game that's played before. They're basically saying, if it's not the train wreck, then there's nothing happening. 
like the vaccine conversation, right? Well, clearly, though, something is happening. So if we can see that they're having the kind of rashes you might get from both dioxin exposure as well as vinyl chloride or anything else we're talking about here, we should go, maybe there is something happening and we're not being able to find it right now. Or we're using the wrong test or we're testing for the wrong chemical. But no, they test for some art. Look, if in the very beginning they had tested for just VOCs and nobody raised any kind of concerns about that and they went forward going, you're good, nothing else was positive. Do you think they would have stood up and been like, wait, wait, we want to test for something else? No, they attempted to test for something arbitrary and broad so they wouldn't find anything. And now they're being forced to test for more things. Why? Because things are being found. It's very clear that they are being, this is like every other disaster we've seen in the past where the company, clearly with the involvement of the government, is downplaying the problem while people are getting sick. Why? We could debate all day long, but that's what's happening here. Health assessment surveys from East Palestine, Ohio, have shown that the most common symptoms experienced by residents since last month's toxic train derailment include headaches, coughing, and anxiety. Now, we're going to get to something in a moment that makes it very clear that every single one of these things perfectly align with the thing that we think is happening. The findings of the survey conducted by Ohio Department of Health and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services were released Friday. Other common symptoms reported by residents were fatigue, irritation, pain, or burning of their skin. That's familiar, right? Burning of their skin. We just talked about all this stuff. DeWine's office said Friday that officials will use the information to better understand how the derailment incident may be impacting residents and determine appropriate public health response. As always, they make this about a community issue like we were talking about, as opposed to acknowledging the real problem. What do we better understand how to, it's impacting? We, it, you don't need to better understand anything. They're sick. They have headaches and rashes. That's it. It's over. We understand. The way this is politics, and it's disgusting. Nearly three quarters or 74% of the participants who who surveyed about all this in their town said they had experienced headaches. 74% since the derailment. Six in 10 reported coughing, and just over half said they experienced irritation, pain, burning of their skin. But but no problem, though. As long as it's not the train and we say it's not the train, then then you're crazy. Sound familiar, doesn't it? According to DeWine's office, the state's environmental, the EPA, is overseeing train wreck removal operations. The local EPA. And a plan submitted by Norfolk Southern, the removal of tracks, evacuation of soil, and reconstruction of the rails are set to be completed by April 30th. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So, you know what else happened in all this process? Apparently, Norfolk Southern buried some of this put train tracks over it, and the trains were running again. But apparently now, now that they got whatever done, they got done. Well, now no, now we're going to pull it back up again, and we're going to move all the stuff that was there. I can't believe that there are not more people in the middle ground of all this, the quasi-independent, like where, this is so plainly obvious. So why were they allowed to do that in the first place? Why did they bury anything? Why did they, why were they so quickly eager to get the tracks back up so they could run something only to pull back up again and stop and clean it all now? Something happened in the beginning of all this. I'm convinced of that. My opinion, that's why 10 days went by before even Fox News was pointing at this. Something is going on. DeWine's office also said water sample results from private water systems continue to show no harmful levels. Now, that could be the case. Of the 157 private systems tested, 57 were verified. So even that, But even right there, there's 100 that haven't been tested yet. Shouldn't you be like, well, we don't know for sure? Nope, of course not. Hazardous waste removal from the derailment is ongoing. The hazardous waste has been hauled to various disposal sites in Ohio, the EPA of Ohio, 
in said in total about 3.2 million gallons of liquid wastewater has been removed and approximately 1700 tons of solid waste you know because that's what it looks like to have a successful like remember they they said they dealt with this successfully federal and state officials have repeatedly said it's safe for evacuated residents to return to the area and that air testing in the town and inside all these homes hasn't detected any concerning levels okay remember that any concerning levels. So the real crux of the issue is whether they think it's concerning. What do they think is concerning? Is a little bit over the level that's safe concerning to them? Probably not. Is it to you and your baby? Yes, it is. On Monday, Governor Josh Shapiro's office said he met with Norfolk Southern, the CEO, Alan Shaw. Oh, great. Somebody gets to meet with him. Apparently the people of Ohio don't, though. According to the governor, the company will pay $5 million to reimburse fire departments for equipment that was contaminated or damaged. One million to Beaver and Lawrence counties to help business owners and residents whose livelihoods were damaged. Another 1.4 million will go to state agencies that responded, of course, including for setting up a health clinic for for, respond, for residents. Okay, you know what that all boils down to? $6.4 million for the government. One million, maybe for you. Probably not, though. That's what's happening. So making money then, making money off a disaster, that's not what the government does. Five million to, I guess, you making money is a bit of a stretch if you're reimbursing fire departments, but $5 million for reimbursing fire departments for equipment that they claim was contaminated, damaged, right? So either way you spin that, I guarantee you there's going to be things that the government might have wanted to do. They're probably going to use the money for. This is $5 million for the fire department. That's the government, guys. $1 million to these specific counties, to help business owners and residents who were damaged by this 1.4 million to state agencies that responded. So now we're literally giving the EPA at least some of this money for what, for not doing their job. How about we give $6 million to the people of Ohio? How about that? Of course not. Cause that's not how this works guys. Any example, any time they can use this to benefit, that's what's going to happen. Meanwhile, they're still coughing and burning and having headaches and nausea, but don't worry, you're perfect. our tests say you're fine. Here's $1.4 million. Damn it, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> but luckily, I did in fact do this. God, even though I have these screenshots, I want to break the computer when this happens. <laughs> it drives me crazy that when my highlighting goes away. By the way, I was looking this up today, and I, it seems to be a Brave problem. Apparently, there's some weird thing with Brave where it allows these auto-refreshes all the time. And, when, and every time people have brought it up on Brave's conversations they they delete the subject it's interesting anyway i was looking into it today something weird there in any case let me look real quick and bring these up <laughs> of course that's so funny well i'm not even going to tell you what i'm doing with right now but let's see okay i'm just going to read you this real quick so i got these uh let's see give me one second God, see this is what it just Effing frustrates me. The air in East Palestine contains higher than normal concentrations of nine potentially harmful chemicals. Nine. The air in East Palestine, Palestine, contains higher than normal concentrations of nine potentially harmful chemicals. Scientists have suggested. <laughs> Did you? God, you gotta be kidding me. Or you mean they've tested and found? Yeah, great job, Daily Mail. Even even you're reporting about it, though, you would mean suggested. Like, the way that they frame this stuff. But the point is, as the title reads, air in East Palestine is toxic. Scientists release report showing higher than normal concentrations of nine potentially harmful chemicals, despite the EPA saying otherwise. 
nine. Experts from Texas A&M and Carnegie Mellon University have conducted their own air quality tests using a mobile testing unit in East Palestine. They said that if the chemicals persist at current levels, it could cause long-term health issues. Why are we even debating this right now? The EPA either didn't do what they're supposed to or is incompetent or is blatantly lying about this. They tested and found all the nine chemicals and we're going to pretend that the EPA didn't find those things or rather that Norfolk Southern did it and then lied about it. Probably how do you, you want to play this? This is what's being found by anybody independently testing. There's been multiple people. We're going to show you the clip of the other guy who tested as well. The finding is in direct contrast to the EPA ongoing, their ongoing assurance that it's not just, that it's safe. They keep telling us that. While they said the findings are not necessarily an immediate health concern, they said repeated exposure over time could be damaging. Now, the real point is that I want to make in all this is guess what they're not testing for? Dioxins. I think that's the obvious elephant in the room. Now, all of this is a problem, right? The vinyl chloride, the stuff, this is the lingering problem. They're testing for those things and they're still finding that. Think about that. They're finding vinyl chloride now in the air, right now. I don't even know it's possible, personally, based on what we've read about this. But again, I'm not the expert. But they're not testing for dioxin. And so I think that's what's causing the real problems we're, th- we're seeing based on all the expert discussions that we've seen, as well as the information, the studies we've read. We go to the next one. Now it says, there are already warning signs amongst residents. Let's see. I can see what I'm looking at there. there. I'm looking at my screenshots so I can see it. There are already warning signs among residents, including reports of altered voices, which, by the way, I'm not, I'm not convinced that, that that part of it, something about that seemed off to me. But regardless, I, I don't know. Anything, anything that we know that this could do in regard to the chemicals, which apparently that's possible. It's, I wouldn't dispute it. I mean, we should ask whether it's happening. But we know for sure that we see chemical burns. We see that what they call chloracne. It's a, a literal term specifically because of vinyl chloride. Or rather, no, I take that back. I think it was... I think it was the dioxin part of it. But I think both of them are capable. And I think that's what we found. Both the vinyl chloride part of the, <clears throat> the rashes as well as dioxin specifically causing the chloracne part of it. But it says Dr. Albert Presto is an associate research professor for of mechanical engineering at Carnegie Mellon's Walter E. Scott Institute for Energy Innovation, who is part of the university's chemical monitoring effort in East Palestine. Right? This is not some random person from YouTube. These are experts testing their job, chemical monitoring. That's what that's part of the university's. He he's part of the university's chemical monitoring effort. Right. This is this is being done by the the school itself. How is it possible that they could find something so directly contrary to what the EPA is saying? Unless there's somebody lying at some point. Now he says the, the materials that dumped onto the ground or into the water could re-emit from the ground whenever the temperature changes or whenever it's windy. So there you go. So that, that you, like the idea that we've already talked about, the idea that they could be testing selectively on the tops of the water and so on to intentionally get the right kind of readings. Or maybe it's on a less windy day. We've seen these kind of things happen where some days it's worse, some days it's not. Maybe there's just selective testing going on. Either way, this is showing you that there is a problem. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's saying, uh, let's see, where was I? Uh, It says, we don't know necessarily what the long-term risk is or how long that concentration that causes that risk will persist. But what they do know is that it's happening right now. 
Now it says that they compared their data in East Palestine to levels of the same chemicals recorded this month by the EPA. This is as of yesterday, the EPA had screened the air for 578 homes and declared that the chemical pollution levels are not above residential air quality standards. Now, guys, the only way that makes sense is if for some reason, which would make sense, that the government and the EPA have created a level that they say is the normal standard, but still dangerous for you. Or they're lying about the level and these people are finding the real level. Either way, both of them make sense to me. Like there's a whole point to get into, which I'll make a point about when we get to the dioxin part next. That the, 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 the background problem of dioxins prior to this accident was a real problem. Maybe that's exactly why this action was chosen, knowing that it would just blend in with the allowed problem that our government has not done anything about. There's a lot around all of this. But it goes on to say, uh, the, the uh, Aliyah and Tyler... Uh, one of the families there have said they were considering moving out of the area after their two young daughters began to show symptoms. We're talking like recently. They lived less than a mile from the incident and went back to their house the following day after the evacuation was lifted, but told CNN her children weren't themselves. It says, uh, let's see, I can't see it. There's something on there. She said, my oldest daughter, my oldest had a rash on her face. The youngest did too, but not as bad. Both of her children have rashes on their faces, but but it's ter- perfectly fine. Thank you, Budigeg. The two-year-old was holding her eye and complaining that her eye was hurting. She was very lethargic. All of these are symptoms of everything we're talking about. I did allow my four-year-old to return to preschool, which is an East Palestine elementary school. She went back for two days, developed another rash on her hands, and started complaining of itching, so we pulled her back out. I, I almost I almost can't even believe it's actually happening this way. It's just, I mean, it's like I know these people are bad, but my God, it's just so far over the top. And look, I mean, look at this. This is them. They're literally like, think about it this way, guys. This is the river, right, or whatever. They're treating this the waterway, right? Why do we feel that what they're doing is it makes it any better? Like the idea, like they're putting fluoride in your water. They're putting glyphosate in everything you can consume and in the air around you. But we're supposed to trust that what they're putting in it to stop the chemicals is any better? I mean, my God, we're in a dangerous situation where apparently every agency designed to keep you safe is literally doing the opposite. The Washington Post writes on, the, and this is what's interesting, February 24th is when this actually was done. Toxic air pollutants in East Palestine could pose long-term risks. February 24th. And by the way, as of, all the way up until the last couple of days, we are still having the same information come out. Texas A&M scientists found elevated levels of some chemicals. This is the wildly downplayed report from Washington Post. It says three weeks after the toxic train derailment, an independent analysis found nine air pollutants at levels that, if they persist, could raise long-term health. No, the problem is that they're already dangerous. They're over the risk of what we consider safe. That's the truth. Just because you're not immediately dropping dead does not mean they're not doing something to your body. They are. The point is the long-term of cancer risks and developed issues. That's what we're talking about. But right now, it's over the limit. That's the problem. And we're not even testing for dioxins. Here it says, in East Palestine, concerns about widespread toxicity continue to keep residents on edge. Some 150 gathered on Thursday, of course, with the which the CEO never showed up to, with the scientists and so on. He said much of what much of it was devoted to concerns that there is still no data on whether specifically dioxins were being tested for. 
even the people there are very aware of what's going on. And they're still, still, it's not happening. Now, I wanted to show you this again, just because I couldn't find it that last time. Now, this is one of the independent experts that is there. He's a highly regarded expert involved in all sorts of environmental lawsuits by high-level entities to be the expert to go check for these things. It's, this is, uh, I'll just play for you what he said last time. And just, uh, I think the other one, I have to play with a microphone. For a lot of chemicals, including dioxin, we're doing a lot of soil sampling and water sampling. My view is that it was a bad decision to release it and burn it. So I have undergraduate and graduate degree in chemical engineering. I mean, I've brought respirators and stuff with us. The problem is you, to wear a respirator, you need to know what to protect from, right? Hydrocarbons, acid gases. We're here, I think, the first group independently to try to figure out what's really here because what they were measuring most of the time is what they call VOCs, which is just some generic. It's not a specific chemical, right? That's my point. Right. And so up until this was not that long ago, the, at this point, they, they were still doing that like a week and a half ago. The tests weren't being done. Dioxins weren't even brought up. And yet this independent expert who knows what he's talking about of his own accord was already doing it. This this is a cover up at some level beyond a doubt. I couldn't in good conscience until we get some sampling data know what to protect against. I've been involved in these before. They know that things are going to dissipate with time. So they measure things that don't really matter. There's evidence that when you burn vinyl chloride poorly, and it was definitely burned poorly because it had such a black plume. If you think of the old days with a carburetor, if you had the air-fuel ratio wrong and you had black smoke, that meant you had too much fuel, not enough air. And that black is carbon, right? So it doesn't combust all the way to CO2. When there's incomplete combustion, there's, there's evidence that part of the vinyl chloride goes to dioxin. And dioxin is one of the most deadly compounds known. If you measured air... Especially TCDD, the, the, the most... The, actually, what they compare every other dioxin to, that's where they get their TEQ score, like the relative comparison... And TCDD, which is what we're dealing with, is the absolute worst. As far as I can tell, per the experts, the worst chemical we're aware of. But no one's testing for it, though, despite it being a verifiable fact that what they did caused them. Here, it has a lot of components like oxygen, nitrogen. It might have carbon monoxide, right? So if you measure VOCs, volatile organic carbons, that doesn't tell me anything other than you're measuring carbon. But I want to know, is it vinyl chloride? What is the individual component? So they purposely measure, with a cheaper instrument, total hydrocarbons. But I want to know what the components are. You're going to be looking... I mean, that guys, he, the expert telling you that was a conscious choice. Not by accident, but a deceptive choice. Now, here's the other one. For some reason, I couldn't get this download. Let me see if I can just play it loud enough from here. There's a lie. It wasn't a controlled burn. It was an uncontrolled burn. See, I'm a chemical engineer as well, as well as a top health and safety guy. I've got undergraduate and graduate degrees in chemical engineering. You're the first actual expert that we've gotten to speak to. In your opinion, why do you believe that it was an uncontrolled burn? Why are you using that terminology when so far everywhere else we've seen that it was a controlled burn? You could go to a place called West Liverpool downriver, and that's where they burn hazardous waste. And in a hazardous waste uh, situation, they very carefully control the temperature, and the amount of oxygen so that they get complete combustion, right? It's time, temperature, and, and amount of the air-fuel ratio. There's no controlling of the amount of air that gets in it. That's why you saw all that soot. So it's not a controlled burn because a controlled burn would have to be like in a furnace or in your car or some system where you control the fuel, in other words, the vinyl chloride and the amount of oxygen. So they didn't do that. So it's an uncontrolled burn. One of the worst ways to... Uh, determine exposure in general is to smell it because if you smell the odor guess what you're already exposed right? yep um, 30 years i'm in most of the big named 
lawsuits as an exposure expert. It's a privilege. I get called in to try to figure some of this stuff out. So that's my job always is what really happened. That smell point is super important. I mean, look at my last, my, my previous couple shows on, on this whole point. I mean, I use their own documentation to prove what the parts per billion would be if you could smell it and proving that people 40 miles away are smelling. I mean, that we know that there is a problem and people, a massive area, at least at one point was contaminated. I mean, all the information is here. Now here is an excellent breakdown from corporate America I'll read what he wrote here. He said, complete his review of the literature on human exposure to TCDD, the most most concerning dioxin that that we know of. He says, I believe more research should be dedicated to figuring out if mass exposure happened via air or if it's going to happen long-term through contaminated water and food supply. I agree. Like, this is the overlap of, you know, what was originally done, the chemicals that leaked and the dumping of it and, you know, the vapor and, you know, whatever else, as well as the burning and the immediate aftermath as well. and, And then whatever the long-term problems are going to be, whether that's just the continued issue from what happened there or whether there's a dioxin issue that was created, which is a long-lasting, it's a POP, the persistent organic pollutants that last for decades, if not longer. And these are things that set, will settle, it's, it'll settle, right? On your house, on your car, on your, in your area, on the, on the animals. And the point is it then bioaccumulates into the fat of the animals as well as your body. Now, if that's what happened, that's a huge problem. And apparently every expert I talked to is very concerned about it and they haven't even tested, which says a lot, but I agree with his point here that we need to understand if there, if, 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 if at the first, if it even happened that way, or if there was somehow, you know, or if we're all being misled or, you know, all these points, but I think it's important to understand that the fact that they're not even looking in this direction says a lot to me that should never just, we should never assume that that is, you know, therefore proof that it did happen that way, but it's a good indication you, you know, when they when that happens, it's a good indication that maybe there's a reason they don't want us asking these questions. But again, to make it even more confusing, it could be because they want us to ask it that way. <laughs> there, there's a lot of thought that goes into these things, and you may think that's ridiculous, but they have entire think tanks and documents that they've written up about exactly this kind of stuff. But it says, uh, from what I've gathered, he continues, dioxin exposure is already a re- reality. Now, this is a really important point that I've touched on a little bit, and it actually deserves this entire show, to be quite honest, about the true problem. Now, we, we recently talked about the CNN article from 1995. That was kind of the crux of that point. In 1995, the CNN expert was, was, was reporting that the, the food supply, and it was largely fast food, they were reporting they were eating these fast food in, both because of the processes involved as well as just the, the food chain itself and the fats we just talked about, that there was already, I think it was like, I think it was something like five to a hundred times, depending on where you went, the level that EPA thought was safe in 1995 in the burgers and the chicken and the pizza that you were eating. And guess what? Nothing happened. So the real question is why that's even allowed to be the case and why it's not being dealt with until now. Are we just talking great reset kind of stuff? Justifying the chain? I don't know, but it's really interesting. And then it can become the question of whether this was done this way. One, because it could have blend, it might blend in with a real problem we didn't even know was there. And then suddenly when we point out the problem, they then use that problem to justify what they're going to do. Like it could genuinely be that. But I think what we have to understand is that all of this ends up being, you know, essentially an attack by the government. Whether it's by malfeasance and competence or or you know just allowing this to happen, they've allowed a situation where we're being toxically co- co- compromised and, and by glyphosate, by fluoride, by barium and aluminum in the sky, but all this stuff is compounding to hurt you. And we must see that by now. 
GMOs. I mean, all these things that were conspiracy theory. Look at where we are today. I mean, it's so plainly obvious. And so whether or not that's a factor, we should ask. I think it's an important point to understand the, 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 the level of dioxin exposure before this even happened. And maybe that's why one in, what is it? I think it, I've, I've, I've genuinely seen reports about one in every two Americans getting cancer at some point in their life. The point, I think bottom line, it's like one in four, ultimately, when you look at all the information, but that's obscene. That never used to be the reality. Now, I will say that's, that's stats that I've from reporting from years ago. So maybe that's, maybe it's worse. Either way, the, uh, the level of obesity and cancer in this country is disgusting around the world too. But he goes on to say, there's also a case to be made against both the EPA and Norfolk on massive safety violations in the instances of chemical incineration that produces dioxin, as well as cleanup following the uncontrolled burn itself, which I discussed briefly in the review. Now, you should read this for yourself entirely. I'll give you a couple quick points. Um, this was just about the link thing, which is interesting. I, I'm not even sure what happened there. I, I, I was like, I didn't work that day. And so I, I missed the whole Twitter broke itself thing, which doesn't surprise me. But here, which, take the time to read this. It's well done. An update on East Palestine, dioxin exposure in humans, a review of the literature. Following the dumping and subsequent burning of 68,000 pounds of vinyl chloride, an issue of dioxin exposure has become relevant to the people of East Palestine. Now, the, the, I just want to point out some of the things he makes here and then the overall reality. Now, this is a good overview of the actual risk. Now, he's pointing out the immediate observable health risks. And that's important. It's like right out of the gate, right when this starts. Chloracne is accepted as the leading side effect of high, specifically TCDD dioxin exposure. As a result, that we're talking about the acne that we've been seeing forming in people's faces, all the rashes they're reporting, is used as a marker in patients exposed to TCDD to indicate high exposure. And that's a big deal to think about. And thus studied at length. And he's right. I mean, it's everywhere. When you go, you know, pre, like, I think it was uh, Capolino on his Substack made the argument that the New York Times and, and, you know, the 1995 CNN, CNN article we referenced, like back then it was everywhere. Dioxins are a problem. We need to research this more. And then it got to this point to where the government was like, never mind. It's not really a big deal. And the New York Times tried to downplay it. Oh, it's no worse than the sunbathing. And then it just went silent, which is really telling, especially as it was used to try to assassinate a Ukrainian president in 2004. And that's a verifiable story. You could look this stuff up. His face is actually permanently mutilated from the use of literally dioxin to assassinate him. It's a, it was used as a chemical weapon. So think about that. But what's interesting, though, is if we're talking about the, the high exposure point of this, you, we have to wonder, or rather just to fit the point is whether or not this is something that was downplayed for a specific reason, kept off of our... So, and then whether we have this overwhelming saturation of everything right now for dioxins, and we don't even know that because of the fact that they downplayed it for whatever reason, like all of this ties back to them being responsible for it, obviously. But high exposure, if you have these, that means that you're potentially at serious long-term risk if you've got this acne on your face, and it is because of dioxin, according to the reports. Short-term exposure to those high levels impair, impair liver function, which is exactly what we, in fact, what's interesting so too does the vinyl chloride problem, right? Well, obviously, they're, you know, the chlorine side effect, that's what the byproduct of the dioxin is. But the point is that the vinyl chloride report from the HHS also talks about in a lot of liver problems. But it says, understanding the immediate risk of dioxin TCDD exposure is important in determining whether or not residents of East Palestine were exposed to unsafe levels. And again, remember that there are people that argue that there is no safe level. And I think he even makes that point in this article, as well as workers tasked with cleaning up and burning the chemicals at the site of the derailment. Now, broadly, the point is, 
all the exact overlap. I mean, just wait till we get to the long COVID discussion today. The point is, this is exactly, it's almost like this is the same thing. Like the, 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 all the side effects, everything this is causing perfectly overlaps with both what they tell you is happening because of COVID, but it's largely, I think, happening because of the injection, as well as what they say is long COVID. I mean, all of these things, immunosuppression. Based, you know, just being carcinogenic, toxic, cancerous. And this was interesting. I, I hadn't even seen this word before. Tero, uh, tero, terotogenicity, if I'm saying it correctly. I think it's, I looked it up. It was like the uh, malformation of embryos and then infertility. Cardiovascular disease. Environmental and agricultural implications. It says dioxin is classified, as we pointed out, as a persistent organic pollutant. Meaning that it sticks around potentially for decades. Now, in his conclusion, he writes, the release of dioxin into the air following the burning of chemicals such as vinyl chloride in East Palestine is already a known fact. Easy to look up. But the extent to which dioxins will affect residents in the coming days, months, and years is unknown, and only unknown because they refuse to engage with this conversation. When produced in massive quantities as well as being aerosolized, dioxin has the chance to spread throughout a population. CNN's own article in 2000, or 1995 said that when air, when in, you know, burned and then going into this in the air, exactly the way that we just saw it, it can travel thousands of miles away. Not what you're hearing today, but that's the reality. And anything you look before this, the nature of the toxic toxin requires careful consideration of PPE during cleanup, which is interestingly, they didn't give anybody help the, the union workers cleaning up. We're all getting sick. Not all, but a lot of them. Residents of the town should be informed of the level of which they were exposed, as well as the potential dangers of TCDD exposure, but they're not. You know, the protection agency is not doing what it claims its job is. And a great article, if you want the good review of this information, it's great work. Now, here is an important report from the year 2000. Final report to the North American Commission for Environmental Corporation. Cooperation. The year 2000. Well, let's see what it says in here. There's some really interesting stuff in here. Okay. Introduction. This is on dioxin. Or uh, specifically, long-range air transport. Very relevant. Whether we're talking, you know, cross state lines and trucks or long air transit, you know, similar points about how it could potentially be a problem. Long, oh, actually, no, I take that back in the sense. I, this one is specifically about, I'll, I'll read it to you. But either way, the point is about how this can spread. That's the real point. Simply by wind and, 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 and air, what's the right word for it? Uh, not aerosolization, but, you know, basically just using the atmosphere to spread around the world. Now, that's the way that we're talking, they're talking about this today, or not talking about the oxygen. It's they're acting like it's not a real risk outside of this very small area. Even then, within that area, we're finding serious problems. But if this is accurate with what we're talking about, for just a general, you know, Already conducted activities, burning things, military, and it's going all the way into the Arctic and causing this problem, which we'll read to you. What do you think would happen if they concentrated burn that produces one of the biggest concentrated releases of dioxins in history, apparently? What happens then for the area right around it? That's the question. Long-range air transport of dioxin from North American sources to ecologically vulnerable receptors in uh, Nunavut, Arctic, Canada. Now, there's a lot of these Inuit words in here that I'm going to mispronounce. So I'm not, probably not going to read a lot of them, but understand we're talking about an Inuit population, what people would incorrectly call Eskimos in some cases, that this is affecting them. And that's what the study is about. 
Now, of course, if it was a, you know, a U.S. city, well, that would be the big deal. But no, this, this group has been affected by this since long before the year 2000, but well afterward, and apparently nothing has happened. Here's what it says. Although there were few pollution sources in the region itself, in this Arctic area we're talking about, it is on the receiving end of emissions from sources far to the south that are transported over long distances by prevailing air currents. Guys, we are talking about dioxins. Scale the rates of of, uh, deposition of airborne dioxin. They're talking about the, in this case, PCDD, PCDF, just a different, different dioxin. I think one of the higher level concerning ones, but similarly, a, you know, a serious risk. And I'll show you what it says they're doing to people in general. You know, they, they basically set out to model. It says they set out to model on a continental scale the rates of basically how this is being deposited around these areas from another country, guys. Another country. The modeling effort detailed in this report is a response to the evidence that Nunuvant is especially vulnerable to the long-range air transport of dioxin. We're not talking about transported like an airplane. We're talking about, on, as it says up here, uh, transported over long distance by prevailing air currents. That says, although there are no significant sources of dioxin in that area, or even within 500 kilometers of the area, dioxin concentrations in Inuit mother's milk, in the milk of the others giving breastfeeding their children, the dioxin concentrations in their breast milk are twice the levels observed in southern Quebec. No big deal, though, right, guys? This is due to the elevated dioxin content in the indigenous diet. Traditional foods such as caribou, fish, and marine mammals. Now, the reason they're saying that is because all of this shifting prevailing air currents brings up the dioxin, and that settles, and that becomes problems with their food supply, with the meat and the animals and the fat, because that's how this works. It doesn't just organically pop up in the caribou. It's being the prevailing prevailing air currents are bringing this in from the United States. It is settling in this area because of the way the wind currents are working, predominantly kind of like perfectly ending up in this area. And it's finding its way into the fats of the animals and the foods in the ground and then into the average, the women breastfeeding their babies, but everybody that's there. Now it says human exposure to dioxin is almost entirely 98% through animal foods. So think about that in the context of what just happened in the context of the supply chain. There's another possibility right there. We, we've already seen how the supply chain is being attacked. Food is food scarcity is being increased. You know, I'm, I'm literally, I'm not trying to just make up possibilities or like, I don't, I'm not saying I think for sure that's the case, but is it possible this was done maybe in one part or in lots of other agendas around it to undermine the food supply? Suddenly, when we all expose, when they come out and say, yep, yep, you're right, there is dioxins. Now, suddenly, we have to kill all these animals in all this area. Certainly, that would align, wouldn't it? Just a thought. Now, the point that's interesting, though, there's a lot of, there are people out there that are arguing the entire dioxin thing is somehow not real. I don't even know how that argument can be made when, when you can see, when, when you have all, you know, when you do the research. Now, I'm not saying I know for sure whether that's a problem in Ohio. I'm saying it's certainly I mean, I don't, I personally don't see how it's possible that it's not knowing that it's burnt when you burn that it causes this. And that is what this is. But I the point is, who knows if they test, it's not there or independent test doesn't find it. Well, we can talk about that, but it's interesting that there's this weird pushback about this somehow being like a hoax. I'm always open to it. You know, I'll entertain any possibility, but something about that seems interesting because clearly this is a lasting problem that's been there for a long time. Now I would argue that I understand how it could be used especially if they're clearly aware that this has been a problem and now it's being, you know, I don't know. But anyway, the point is 
98% through animal foods, especially those that are rich in fat. Dioxin is known to enter the food chain from the air. In temperature climates, temperate climate, excuse me, it is taken up by animal food crops and hence appears in milk and beef, which in the United States account for about two-thirds of the diet mediate exposure. Which we don't even I mean Americans don't even know about this right now. In the Arctic, dioxin enters the major terrestrial food chain, largely caribou, chiefly through <clears throat> uh, lichen, mosses, shrubs which they eat. <clears throat> Excuse me. Dioxin enters the major, uh, basically uh, enters the marine food chain chiefly through ag- algae. Now they eat these, and then it bioaccumulates in their fat. Since these avenues of entry into the food chains cannot be protected from airborne pollutants, remedial measures must be directed at the sources that emit toxin into the air. That's you, United States. That's what we're getting into. Hence the need for relating dioxin emissions from the sources to the amounts deposited on such ecologically vulnerable receptors. Now, what this amounts to ultimately in 2000 would say, well, you got to stop doing all these military activities. You got to stop burning all these things in your military bases. Well, that's not going to happen because they don't care. <laughs> so, nope, never mind. So we don't care about the environment when it, when it, you know, the point is they don't care about the environment anyway. It's a means to an end. This is a huge problem affecting directly a, a native population that they found out, they proved all the way back then and it's gonna get, only going to get worse. And guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. This report does not, this is actually really interesting. Uh, this is on, this is uh, uh, regarding the number one, where was that again? Right here. Long-range air transport of the oxen, the number one. Number one, it says, this report does not seek to address the question of whether past or current dioxin exposure rates in Nunavut constitute a threat to human health or in the environment. But it says it's worth noting, however, that the body burden of dioxin in the general population of the United States and Canada reflects an average level of exposure associated with a lifetime cancer risk several hundred times greater than the generally acceptable one in a million level generally adopted by the EPA. See my point? 1995, they write about how it's in every food and we're almost a hundred times over the life. Nothing happens. Then it gets kind of quiet and they shut it down. Nobody talks about it. Okay, 2000, the report finds like on a side note in the, in the footnotes, <laughs> like it's just like going quietly, Americans in Canada, you're dying. Like think about what it says right there. We're, this report is not about trying to tell you whether you're getting sick from this, but <laughs> the what we're finding regardless is that the average level of exposure that we are in the year 2000 experiencing at the time was a lifetime cancer risk several hundred times greater than what the EPA considers acceptable. I mean, seriously, you have to find it on a footnote. This is the reality that the EPA doesn't care about you, that the government doesn't care about you, that all of this is some quiet note in the year 2000 that never gets talked about. There's been studies and research, but nobody tells you this. Now, why? What is going on around dioxins that are only suddenly now being executed? It's a good question. I mean, my first thought, again, goes to whether that was the reason, assuming this wasn't planned, the reason it was done, because as we already told you, it's near impossible to prove once they, once they do finally test for it, if they do, that the dioxins they're finding are due to this train with things like this. They're going to go, well, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Well, isn't that convenient? I just, I almost can't get past this. Like this right here, 
is it if this somehow got graced the shows on some quasi independent large show or fucker Carlson talked about this, this would be the hugest story of it. This is incredible. A hundred times the general acceptable risk, a lifetime cancer risk in the year 2000 that we're all currently dealing with. God dang it. That's crazy. Goes forward. It says U.S. sources out of all of this. Right. So they talk about Canada, Mexico. Right. Wouldn't, wouldn't you argue, oh, Mexico, they, they have no regulations. They're doing all the bad stuff. No, no, not at all. The place that doesn't have regulate, well, clearly the one that has all the rules and red tape doing the worst. U.S. sources, 2,937 grams. The TEQ is like the relevance or uh, it's the relate. The, it's the, what, what it stand for again. God, I can't remember now. You guys remember. I looked it up last time. It's basically the equivalency. That's what it was. Compared to the high, the, the TCDD being the worst, it's the equivalency point. But the bottom line is way over the top. Canada being 364, Mexico being 1,400. The U.S. is the reason that's happening in this area. That's the point they're making, by and large. North American sources outside of Nunavut are responsible for almost all of the dioxin deposited in that territory. Doesn't that matter? Don't those people matter? Apparently, it only matters when it's a place you don't like and you can use it against them, right? You are polluting these people to the point to where it's hurting their children, their livelihood. It is a problem in the year 2000. Nothing changes. It goes on to say the very intense dioxin emissions, especially from the eastern half of the United States, are effectively transported to that this other, it's a, the larger part around that town, resulting in high de- deposit flux levels. So the U.S. government and our actions or the allowances of our corporations are poisoning people around us. Nearly half of the total annual dioxin deposit deposition occurs in only two months, September and October. In comparison with the rest of the year, these months are characterized by weather patterns that effectively, efficiently carry dioxin from the area of intensely emitting U.S. sources to this area in the Arctic. Okay, so you're getting the other large point that I haven't addressed yet. If this is able to use weather patterns to tra- to basically come from whatever this is, a, U- a, a source in the United States burning something it's not supposed to, or rather they're allowed to burn, but we don't know is bad, that then on the wind travels all the way to the Arctic to the point to where it gets into her breast milk and in her baby's mouth. But we're going to dispute whether this, what they just did, is a problem somehow, or whether or not it's reaching people. You see what I'm saying? I'm not going to say I know for sure the breadth of the problem, but my God, if any of this is even remotely accurate, clearly there's something happening here. But I'm also not putting aside the possibility that this may be exactly where they want us to go for the use of some kind of burn it all down to build it back up again mindset. But either way, they're lying to us right now. I mean, I've never seen this. I mean, this is very clear. The data generated by this project directly support the conclusion that the known occurrence of dioxin in Nunavut in the indigenous population in the regional food chains and the marine and terrestrial ecosystems is due to the deposition of airborne dioxin transported from distant sources, which are chiefly the United States in the United States. Distant sources, airborne dioxin. Yep. Just like CNN said in 1995, which now they apparently forgot can travel thousands of miles and end up in your body and still getting you sick because it's a persistent organic pollutant. 
That's concerning. I don't know how you, how you spin this any other way. In sum, the results of this project confirm that the at- at- atmospheric and ecological processes that carry airborne dioxin from its numerous sources through terrestrial and marine food chains, not just the minnows they want you to think in Ohio, but both, to human beings is a problem of continental, if not global, dimensions. To meet this challenge, analytical methods and remedial policies must be established, which didn't happen, and it got shut down, and nobody even knows it's happening. Because the EPA cares about you, right? They're involved with this. Don't they care? <laughs> it's really sad to see how clear this is, guys. I mean, it, you know, and the, the problem is I know this scares people. If you had never known about this and you just woke up to you, this is scary because you thought they protected you. To, to realize that, you know, it's like finding out your parents are secretly trying to kill you at night. I mean, it's, it's a scary reality. But the problem is we need to understand that this is the reality. You can't change anything, right? The first step in solving a problem is acknowledging that we have one. Until we can all agree that they don't care, not the left, not the right, that they don't care about you, then we won't be able to change anything. Now, this is on a couple other notes here. The EPA, as you might have seen, the EPA head, you know, it's... It's a little bit of a, the question is, the point is somebody asked him about the area, the rivers, and he said, no, kids should be nowhere near that water. But it's not that big of a point because that's already been the reality. They've, they've been talking about the, the people who are trying to be a little dishonest about this are conflating the, the natural water sources with what they tell you is the safe municipal sources. I still question that. I just, I, I, I just don't see how that, with how ubiquitous this is, like something tells me that's not correct, but either way. The, the river water is not the same thing, but either way, we know that this is something they've, they've also kind of soft played where there've been people on the record from the corporate media that have said they've, the water is safe, not differentiating between the river and the water of municipal. Like that's a big problem. And yes, we know that there are kids out there running around the area as Aaron Brockovich pointed out until they stepped in and go, whoa, wait a minute. So clearly there's, whether it's just incompetence or, or it's criminal, either way, these people are not on your side. Now, this in, in the report in this report that was uh, from yesterday, just another follow up about the moving of the soil shipments and so on. It says on Friday, Governor DeWine submitted a letter to the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, requesting a 120 day extension to submit a request for a major disaster. I mean, think about why that even makes sense. In every other circumstance, they can't that you, you somebody blinks too hard. They're disaster emergency everywhere. We all see it. Because they love it. They get more power. They get more money. They can do. But somehow this one, they're, whoa, wait, hold on. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm even going to file an extension to not declare an emergency. That, that makes sense, right? In one of the most obvious environmental disasters we've ever seen. <laughs> Governor DeWine announced his intent to file for the extension on February 17th after determining that East Palestine disaster did not qualify for traditional FEMA aid. I mean, have you ever seen anything more deserving of of federal emergency management agency funding. I mean, it's incredible. Wildlife officers from the ODNR continue to monitor the streams in East Palestine area impacted by the train derailment. In the initial spill, the ODNR estimates approximately 38,222 minnows, ranging between one and three inches, were killed. And then you'll note how they don't include anything else. Do you realize how many reports? I mean, even their corporate reports are now telling you that they're dying in the parks. Animals are dying in the parks. You got animals in the local area still having problems. Not just fish and minnows, dogs, cats, pigs, foxes, but they just don't want to tell you that. Again, it's this is the obvious omission of information. Just like with COVID, guys, it's the same game. Here is the 
New York Times, just to point out, again, and there is a point you made about this in general, that a second Norfolk Southern train has derailed in Ohio. Not really a surprise, though, seeing as how they just kind of dumped on you that, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. You have like 100 a month. Oh, you didn't know that? Why? Because nobody tells you that. Interesting. And it shows you the controlled flow of information as we have trains with dangerous things apparently crashing 100 times a month. No big deal, though. Now And now, of course, as actually we talked about this morning on Wake Up, now, of course, they're going to go, yeah, yeah, we'll fix it now. Guess what, though? We've got a whole new plan, a new normal for the train system. Shocking. Either way, guys, the point is that, you know, not every single train crash everywhere now is some kind of organized thing, or it could be. We should ask that question. The point is that they've allowed this to become the problem that they want to use to justify the next step. That And that, by the way, that would include either the accidental derailment of very dangerous chemicals to make that happen or part of a deliberate plan. Either way, it's still their fault. And the idea that this would be allowed to be the case is just is incredible. It, but it shows you who they really are. If that's the reality, either way, the point is that they're apparently trains crashing all over the place. And that's apparently your, like your fault. <laughs> the idea that people have been like, again, don't forget. Yes. The Trump administration did roll back things that made this more dangerous. And yes, the Biden administration allowed that to be the case for two years. And then yes, they shut down the pro the, the strike, which was one of the primary points was the safety, right? Cause they all clearly care about you. Right. No, it's only the right. It's only Trump. No, it's only Biden. Yeah, the two-party illusion will always stop you from seeing the full picture. The point is, no hazardous materials were involved in the derailment. Again, interesting point in this is that, first of all, yeah, my thought, too, is, well, why would we trust that? I mean, they, we, we know they're lying about stuff right now. Why would we trust that? It's also Norfolk Southern. They, they have literally been caught lying. Okay, that's a fair point. And my, my, my thought, too, is, okay, well, I don't know. I, that, I'm not going to take that at face value. But what we see happening a lot is, let's say I come on somebody's tweet and I go, well, there's no evidence of any problem. Oh, yeah, take them at their word. It's like, well, I, who said that? I didn't say I believe them. I said there's no evidence yet, which is the truth. The problem is that people are so quick to jump to the side of, you know, the, the Twitter files and all this stuff. Everyone's gotten very assumptive and very surface level to the point to where if it aligns with your narrative, that's the truth until proven otherwise. That isn't a manipulation, like one of the most important right now. And so you'll step in these conversations and you'll point out, wait a minute, I have a question. And that question then becomes proof that you're a problem. That's dangerous. I mean, I, and I think when people are getting consumed by that. They're little echo chambers. And we should ask questions. You know, no hazardous materials? Well, I don't know for sure. But guess what? There's no evidence that there is a problem. And until we have that, there's no reason we should just guess into that there is a problem until they prove otherwise. I'm telling you, there, this, is a, this is a very clear agenda to stop the momentum the independent media has right now. Now, let's shift over to COVID-19. I want to cover some stuff before we get to the lab leak part of this. And this is interesting, though. There's just so it's <clears throat> both the over the last couple of days, even when I've, you know, I, like I said, I've been man, dealing with a lot. But the reason I didn't feel so bad about, you know, being OK with having, you know, I mean, just a couple of days, three days went by. I didn't have a show <clears throat> is because, excuse me, <clears throat> I truly feel like the coverage of Ohio that we did and the coverage of COVID-19 in general. The last shows we did are still, as far as I'm concerned, pretty much on the cur- cutting edge of what's going on. And it's like the stuff we're covering is really just in some ways redundant, right? By saying, well, here we go. Let's point out again that the dangerous, the COVID vaccines or injections are killing people. It's like, we should know that by now. And the point is we, it's proven using peer reviewed science. 
there's not there's not even a counterbalance to some of these things. It's just science direct, peer reviewed, high level, and then no, but we don't like the peers that reviewed it. Okay, but where? Okay, what else is there? Well, nothing. So they're doing the same thing, and you see that's where that comes from. Well, we're going to assume that it's the opposite of what they said because well, there we don't trust them. My point is that this stuff is very obvious right now. I actually think that we all see it. I think that most people are clearly aware that there's Nazis in Ukraine, (laughs) you know, neo-fat, neo-Nazis and fascists. And, you know, the CIA has grown that and they're using that against them. It doesn't mean we all think Russia good guy. It just simply means that we can see the manipulation. COVID-19, I think everybody's very aware as we've seen even their own. I mean, just to jump the gun real quick, even Canada now is saying, oh, well, uh, where was it? No, now I can't find it. <laughs> I just got to try to jump again. I'll, I'll come back to it. Then, you know, they're going, oh, well, we don't know. We don't recommend boosters now. Okay, well, why exactly? Did something change? Aren't you the one telling us that they decline? Well, yeah, okay. Well, aren't you the one admitting that we didn't reach herd immunity? Okay, so then what's your logic there? Right, there's no answer for that. We're just, we're just pulling back on it all of a sudden. Weren't you the one 30 seconds ago saying we were all going to die if we didn't do this? So clearly there's something shifting here, guys. The point is that I think everybody sees through this right now. And they're, all they can do is just kind of pull back the pressure and pretend like we're still wrong and hope that we just get quiet again. Don't get quiet again. As Dr. Peter McCullough points out, the report, this, this report you can read for yourself, it says Pfizer knew about the astronomical number of safety events, 1,223 deaths, and that COVID vaccines failed, and then we're talking about the trials, with fatal breakthrough cases. And we're going to come to this one again and show you this. This is the reevaluation of the phase three trial, which is just amazing, showing you exactly what they lied about. But the reality is that this is clear, as clear as it's ever been. They knew it, they hid it, and they're running right now. Vigilant, 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 you'd think I'd know that word by now. Vigilant Fox points out narrative collapsing, unexplained deaths, a shift in the story is coming soon, Ever Dowd points out. And we actually already pointed to him saying this in this original tweet, but I want to reiterate this because of what we're going to talk about next and how important this is into how they're shifting narratives because I believe they're failing. Debacle that's unfolding. I'm privy to a lot of chatter and communication with sources. And uh, over the weekend, one of my sources in the government told me that uh, there's going to be a narrative change that the White House is potentially preparing to declare an epidemic, uh, an epidemic of sudden death, and that they might blame uh, long COVID and potentially, believe it or not, climate change. Um, That's being debated now in the in the uh, in the halls of government, whether they do it or not, it doesn't matter. But the reason why I put that tweet out, because I hear a lot of chatter, a couple things happen. One, we had the Monday night football incident which raised the consciousness of the country. And then the Rasmussen poll, which came out, which suggests that the awareness of vaccine, sudden death and injuries is, is going uh, bigger than I think most people think. So It's like a five, six minute video. So watch it for yourself, 522. But, you know, he's been on this for a while and he's right. You know, I think, I think, the, I think he's correct with pointing out that I, they, this is actually exactly what we were talking about, the release valve. Right. So they know that people are aware of this and they, but they'll keep going. You're lying. You're crazy. You're dumb. And, but in the meantime, in the background, they're okay. How do we put How do we stop this? How do we stop the leak? Right. How do we stop the bleeding? 
Well, we give them something. We, we, we give them a narrative to run with. We give them something. In this case, you're talking about shifting into a different explanation. But in some cases, what they do is give you a little bit of truth. And then pretend like that's all of it in hopes that you don't find the big truth. That's really how this works. Yes, they're admitting fault in some way or admitting a lie or problem. And so you go, oh, we got them. But the truth is the big part of it that they didn't want you to see is behind that. And that works to some, to some degree. But the point here is that they're, as he says, one of my sources in the government told me that they're going to shift and might blame long COVID. Now, we've heard the climate change overlap to damn near everything. So that wouldn't be a hard transition for them. But the point is the long COVID example is really, really obvious right now. And I do think it's important to dive into. John Paul points out, kudos to everyone with half a brain that told everyone else that they would classify every single jab adverse effect as long COVID. We were one of them, right? Our community in general, we were saying that a long time ago, like that this is going to repackage this stuff. It's just the new, it's the new thing they did in the beginning, right? Remember in the beginning, it was just like everything, like, I mean, we saw this example in a thousand ways, the conflating of flu and pneumonia. The bottom line is this is how they roll. Even before COVID-19, it was conflating pneumonia with flu, right? And now suddenly, I, I've even argued they would decouple those at some point and use that in their own way. And I think to some degree, they already have. We've watched pneumonia kind of dissipate and we see flu rise again. I mean, it's, it's, it's a game, guys. And we've proven this. Even the WHO, even the HHS have spoken up in their own reports, which they now censor. I have to use the Wayback Machine to include, which they go, well, you guys are lying. One of which is the... Uh, Or than influenza document. I'm not going to go through it, but I'll include it since I mentioned it. For those going, that's not true. <laughs> Look up this link for yourself and you'll find that it's weirdly not there anymore. What an error. Right? There's a reason for that. Calling these health scares and pandemics of fear because they lied and they know they're lying. But the point is, and I actually, it took me forever to find this, by the way. This is why people should include their source links. I'm not even getting to that point today. People going like, Oh, you must be new here asking for sources. What an idiot. It's like, no, you're an idiot for pretending like not putting your source material is somehow cool. The idea that that's a thing, it's just so stupid. But the bottom line is people asking for sources doesn't mean that they need you to do that. It just means that you should be doing that. And I might as well ask since you have it right in front of you. I'm fully capable of doing my own research. But what's interesting is that it happens a lot. Anyway, as I say, I'm not going to talk about it. The point about this is how he's saying this is how the GPs are advised to diagnose long COVID. And guess what? It's literally everything the vaccines are causing. I, here, I did find this. Thank God. It took me forever. This is, this is a summary of the NICE guidelines we've already talked about. New and emerging condition, which has been described using a variety of terms, including long COVID. Right in the beginning, it's clear that this is undefined, not proven, as by the way, you can actually prove. There are current ongoing studies debating on what this is and what it comes from like science.org is like here are the three current theories and yet you literally have doctors diagnosing people with something that has not even been proven i mean that's about as dumb as diagnosing somebody with sudden adult death syndrome which means we don't know what caused this it's the actual definition of sudden infant death syndrome and sudden adult death syndrome we don't know for those that don't know that look it up it might blow your mind there's an entire category of literally we have no idea what's causing this. And guess how much that's grown since this time frame, like quadrupled. But we don't know is the point. There's no clinical definition or clear treatment pathway. And there is a minimal, though, evolving evidence base. Now, ask yourself how that's possible. How can there be no treatment pathway if they're telling you it's COVID? Didn't they just tell you that COVID? The co it's COVID. Well, here, here's how we're treating COVID. But apparently when COVID becomes long COVID, now we don't know how to treat it. <laughs> it's just pathetic how stupid all this is, but it's saying the three definitions were developed 
for long COVID. Now, get look at how specific this is. Okay, well, acute long COVID, or excuse me, one is acute COVID, zero to four weeks, which I don't even know how that makes sense. How exactly the three definitions were developed. The clinical case definitions, the term long COVID is commonly used to describe signs and symptoms that continue. Okay, so one of them is apparently zero to four weeks. So now apparently you have COVID for with zero. <laughs> well, how does that make sense? So one week into COVID, you apparently already have long COVID. Tell me if I'm reading that wrong. Ongoing symptoms of COVID-19, four to 12 weeks. Okay, so once you pass four weeks and you have the sniffles, you still, you haven't have long COVID. That's, I'm not making that up. It's it, any number of these benign symptoms. Post-COVID-19 syndrome. Oh, no, no. Okay, now I'm now, now I get how it's reading. That the, this is, the way they wrote this is ridiculous because it clearly outlines the long COVID definitions and then it's saying three definitions were developed. I'm now reading it correctly. They're meaning that th- this is COVID, ongoing COVID, and then what's supposed to be long COVID. But am I wrong in the way they wrote that first? That's the, terribly written. Anyway, the, so, so we're clear. Zero to four weeks is what's called a co- acute COVID. Ongoing symptomatic COVID, four to 12 weeks. Then apparently anything that goes on longer than 12 weeks is called long COVID. No verification necessary. You feel it, that's long COVID. And that's what they're pointing out. That's what the tweet was about. Their conditions experienced by these long COVID group, guess what? It is literally every single thing we can prove. I mean, I can go through each one of these one by one and show you. I had most, I'll show you this in a couple of these over here in a moment. These overlaps with some of these things we can prove. And I was going to go through it, but I was like, I just got to take too long and take too much space. But the bottom line is each one of these, as you know, myocarditis, I can show you 14 peer reviewed studies that show you how myocarditis is caused or can be caused following injection. I can show you every one of these arrhythmias, you know, thrombo, thrombo, thromboembol, uh, you know, VITT, vaccine induced thrombo, thromb, that word for some reason, I can't say that right now. Thrombotic, thrombotic. Anyway, VITT, we've talked about that exactly renal impairment, hepatitis. There, actually, there's one right there that overlaps. Doctors baffled by severe hepatitis. I wonder why. Autoimmune hepatitis after COVID vaccine. Acute hepatitis with autoimmune features after COVID-19 vaccine. That's what that was. Severe hepatitis liver after COVID-19 vaccination. Weird. <laughs> I guess they missed all these. <laughs> it's, just so, it's just so damn stupid. So, where were we? I missed my spot here. Oh, too far. Here we are. Okay. The bottom line is, Look at this. This one, this one literally, look what this is, what's the definition exactly? It says difficulty in speaking due to a physical disorder of the mouth. Difficulty speaking. I mean, anyway, the bottom line is all of these things are listing, you can prove can be caused by the injection. Nowhere in here does it discuss that or put up the possibility that it could be. Now, how is that even remotely honest if they then know, for instance, myocarditis can be caused by the injection? But yet you're going to conflate anyone that has myocarditis after COVID-19, whatever we assume that is, then is because of it, because we say so. I mean, this is a really important point to make. We're going to come back to in a second that the way that they couch these definitions guarantees that they can make it whenever they want. If you have, you can have 14 injections in your body, take a test that says you have COVID-19, and then everything you're dealing with will be labeled as COVID-19 long COVID. That's where we are. Thank you for those phonically spelling it for me. (laughs) It wasn't really about the, it was just me trying to pronounce it. I've said the word before. Anyway, the point is going forward, 
that they're literally trying to make this the thing when they haven't even, this is not even proven. There's entire studies going over this stuff. Long COVID, which again, think about writing an article about something and how it's associated with things, even when you haven't proven that it exists in the first place. There's obviously an agenda around this. Long COVID is associated, according to CNN, with significantly increased increased risk of death, heart and lung problems. Told another injection, though. As the nation anticipates the end of the COVID-19 health public emergency or health public health emergency, that you know, long they've been saying that, that we're on the we're on the downscale phase of the non-serious phase of the pandemic phase. Like it's just so stupid. It was never a pandemic phase. The research is showing that some groups are still feeling long-term impacts of the disease. Well, how many of them got the injection? Oh, most of them. In the year following an infection, individuals who experience long COVID are at the high risk for the range of adverse outcome outcomes, according to a new study. Okay, well, let's look at that study. Of course, we're going there. Here's the study. March 3rd, one year adverse outcomes. Like this is what's funny is they, you know, you know I'm not going to begrudge scientists from continuing to do more scientific research, but let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Of course, it doesn't pop up all of a sudden. I used to have these. Um, What else can I? Oh, let me just grab it real quick since I stopped the show and tried to find it. Hold on. It's under long COVID, my tabs. I don't know if you guys can see that or not. I have a bunch of these actually we could pull up, but I'm just going to grab the one. There's, I have at least three studies that all also undermine the, whether this is associated. I'll just include this, though. The bottom line on this study is the same thing I've shown before, which is that the findings of this study, and actually the bottom is even better. This study suggests that physical symptoms persisting 10 to 12 months after COVID-19 may be associated more with the belief in having experienced COVID than with actually being infected with COVID. I mean, that's called psychosomatic, guys. That's what this finds. And there's plenty of other research around that. Now, yeah, there's other studies that say otherwise, but this is JAMA Network, which, by the way, is this one too. Well, they're both peer-reviewed. So the bottom line is they're just choosing to go with one over the other, right? That's called cherry-picking. I'm willing to consider all of them. I looked at that one. I went through it tooth and nail. Well, we did this one today too. Now, I went through every part of this as I as I do when I go when I highlight these and discuss them for you. What it says is one year adverse outcomes among US adults with post-COVID-19 condition. Now, think about entering into a study where you've already like established that you think that's a thing. Like we should like we're trying to find out whether it's a thing, but we're going to establish that these are the people with the thing we're studying to find out if they have it. They've got it. <laughs> it's like well, I wonder if they're going to find it with those without COVID in large commercial insurance database. Now, one thing to point out is this is an observational study compared to not an observational. Well, I guess technically this would be, oh, I'm thinking the other one. This is also an observational study. The one we're going to get into in a moment, you'll see what I mean. There's a comparative point I'm going to make about somebody else doing the same thing where it's observational versus peer-reviewed, which is important. But these are both observational. The point in this one, though, is that there's a huge gaping Omit or I guess omission or just willful ignorance around a certain point. Now, post COVID 19 condition PCC, I guess, is long COVID. Get ready for PCC being another term. So it kind of hides the reality they're still using long COVID. The objective was to quantify one year outcomes among individuals meeting the PCC definition, which basically just means they have. Any COVID symptoms lasting longer than 12 weeks. We just, that's what it says in this. It's what it says anywhere else you look. How in the world that's a fair definition? So, you, so at best, that means 
that you're also conflating other illnesses, right? I mean, that, think about the choice to do that. But it says they use the national insurance claims data. So that in and of itself is rife for manipulation of people that already see what they want to see. But it says the study sample consisted of adults meeting a claims-based definition for PCC with a two-to-one match control cohort of individuals with no evidence of COVID-19 during what time period? April 1st, 2020, when yeah, there was no injections to July 31st, 2021. Rather, there was no injections mass population at that point. Okay, but we're going well into the ta- the time frame of vaccinations, injections being given. And you can argue people that are feeling that they have long COVID are kind of largely the people that are pro-injections. It's <laughs> my opinion. Either way, the point is that you can, I, which I did look through the entire thing for any reference of vaccination or anything, and there's only a few examples. We'll get into it. And the point is that this guarantees that some of the people in this had injections in this time frame. It says the study population included 13,435 individuals with what they said was PCC and 26,870 who no evidence of COVID-19. Now it says this case control study leveraged a large commercial insurance database and found increased rates of adverse effects because of PCC. Of course, they found that. That's what they're finding is a long COVID or whatever we're generally calling symptoms after a certain time frame. But it says the CDC defines PCC as having new, returning, or ongoing health issues occurring more than four weeks after. Four weeks. That's that's ridiculously less than even what the, even CNN just said. Or rather, excuse me, not CNN, but the primary care notebook in the UK. So the CDC is over here saying, look, you have four weeks in one day and you've got any COVID symptoms? We're calling that long COVID. What, what, what if it's a cold, right? What if I've got allergies? doesn't matter. That's, we're going to do it just in case. But then they're going to force that on people when you tell them it's not true. Here's what it says. A diagnosis of PCC is based on symptoms, including fatigue, cough, pain, just pain, <laughs> any kind of pain, apparently, loss of taste or smell, shortness of breath, thromboembolic conditions, neurocognitive difficulties, and depression. Depression. So you can literally be depressed at four weeks in one day and you've got long COVID, right? You got shortness of breath. Any one of these things. I just think this is, I mean, this is comically ridiculous. Estimates were often based on hospitalized patients who had a higher severity of illness. Okay, so there's one caveat. It is listed under the limitations. They're saying, well, we the people, estimates we use were often based on people that were already largely ill. Okay, well, that's not really accurate then. I mean, it's the kind of game they played in reverse to begin with, right? In addition, early r- reports were often research letters or field reports not subject to peer review. Aha! So they over here going, this peer-reviewed study that we can prove, uh, well, that's not exactly accurate, is it? The study may be peer-reviewed, but the reports they used weren't. So they could have been lied to they, or lied about. Now, there's a, you find a lot of these limitations in a lot of these studies, so that's fair to point out. But the big point for me, right here, the time period for identification of members in the study predates the availability of vaccines. Okay, well, it appears that they did it right, right? But they monitored them into 2021. I mean, think about this, guys. They, they, they The time period for identification of the problem was, as we pointed out, in 2020. But then they, mon- as I'll just make, make sure it's clear. 
They monitored them all the way into July 31st, 2021. There's no indication, and you can read through this for yourself, they didn't tell them not to get vaccinated. Of course not. Well, that wouldn't be right, (laughs) how they would frame it. So the problem is that I can guarantee you that a lot of these people got the injection, especially if they think that they were going to get sick from COVID. Then it goes on to say, given the widespread nature of COVID-19, well, there may be concerns with the extent to which the control group also had COVID-19. Clearly, this is not really well. This thing is completely in the air in every way, it seems. So now you're comparing people that have the same thing. So there's no control group it, in some, or you don't know if that's the case. Either way, this study, if you want to go back and look at our deep review of it, is way, 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 way better done. And it's, 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 it's I mean, bottom line is this is not, oh, actually, I forgot the last part. In this case control study, I think it's the same thing. Oh, it's just the same point that they're basically saying that we confirm that they had PCC. No, we're, are we really going to discuss or not discuss the vaccination, the injection? When you can argue or they've proven that any number of these things can be caused by the injection, well, they just don't care because that's fake news and anybody that wants to make money from scientific publication. But according to CNN, well, there you go. Long COVID for sure. Well, here, Jurassic Carl points out, and this is one I was referencing a moment ago. Do you guys realize how many VAC side effects they're hiding within these weaselly definitions of vaccinated? You guys know all this because we've talked about this relentlessly. As I think somebody even pointed out down here. Yeah, right here. Sphinx points out exactly what we've been, what we've been saying. He's the, the, the reason I saw this, or he or she. People can stroke out or have cardiac arrest and die in the hospital within a few weeks. If they get a positive test in between, that's, the, that, that, that's COVID. And we've seen this. They've even said that themselves. That bottom line is, and this, this point is just really that, you know, we've been saying that you get, you get a shot in, in, in Scotland. You get an injection and you have a heart attack on day 21 or rather 20 and into 21. Well, that gets counted as unvaccinated. 14, 21 days in every place you look right now. And that's when the vast upwards of 80% of all these problems take place is in the first 14 to 21 days. All the cases, deaths and hospitalizations. They knew that. That's why they arbitrarily made this number. Everybody knows that you put something in your body from the moment it enters your body. It's possibly the the, the catalyst for what's happening. But the point here is that the, the test part of it, right? So you have people out there right now that are getting tested and being told they've got COVID-19 because of the PCR test or who knows. If you believe it's there, maybe they do. But the bottom line is they also got four shots in their body. So even if you want to pretend that the, the whatever you're calling COVID is possibly the culprit, you can't pretend it's not the other things that have also been shown to cause, myocard- cause myocarditis. But that's what they're doing. The positive test then becomes that's what it is. And it goes down as COVID-19 and then everything else after it's long COVID. How many people do you think have got four shots in their body and have gotten a test that says they've gotten COVID and that then becomes long COVID for everyone they talk to? You know that's happening. Now, I want to reiterate the point about the, and this is more the reference about this, this uh, the same kind of association the CNN tried to do. We, I, I've reiterated this point. This is actually one of the one of our most prominent tweets over the last couple of months. As I said, I just want to remind everybody that peer-reviewed science, here it is right here, Science Direct, Ionitis Group, peer-reviewed science has found that, quote, at a global level, pre-vaccination infection fatality rate may have been as low as 0.03 and 0.07, respectively, for under 59 and under 69. 
all under the flu. Never worse than the flu. That's the most recent information. That's the conversation. This is where we're at. And this person simply says, oh, please, I have friends very ill with long COVID. Oh, you mean the thing that no one's proven exists? Very intelligent. But don't peddle lies. So first of all, you realize that this is not opinion. Or other, well, I guess really other than this. But that's not, I mean, even that's not opinion. The scientific study peer reviewed, which is what they were telling us in the beginning, is what we were required to listen to is finding that this is less than the flu by every metric we have. I guess even though we were lied to, would be the only part you could argue is opinion. But this person pushes back. And I simply say, it's peer-reviewed science. But yeah, your personal perspective is much more sound. This person says, why are you so mad? (laughs) Because clearly you can see the emotion in that statement, right? And exactly who are the peers? You see, this is where they've now gotten to. So in the beginning, it was peer-reviewed or you're stupid. Right? How dare you push back on our peer review side? But then it gets peer reviewed by the same groups because you realize it's the same thing. The same peer review structure that's peer reviewing Science Direct is the same peer review structure that was doing it in the beginning. They just pretend that the peers are somehow their friends. This shows you a, a complete misunderstanding of how this process even works. But they're smarter than you, though. And I just said, Matt, oh, yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> I forgot you lot, to you lot, facts or violence now. I forgot. Sorry to assault you with an unemotional truth. Carry on spinning out. The point, though, is that they push back in a way that's completely irrational. And this is the study you can see for yourself that is very clear. As somebody else pointed out, though, that in some, in some people's minds, the U.S. perspective is the most, and that's important to understand, is, uh, oh, you know what? I forgot to highlight that. I don't want to try to find it right now. Either way, the point is that if you just look at the U.S., now it's dramatically lower just in the United States. But overall, the point is average global. I mean, it's less than the flu, period. There's just, you can't you could pretend that they're wrong, but you can't act like this is just not just no, not in the conversation. Only this one over here observational, not done properly. Like, they're the ones telling you this is what we're supposed to listen to. But see, we're not even doing that. We're questioning this, too. We question all of it. But the body of evidence is plainly obvious now this is the one we were referencing before oh you know what see i did do that backwards i knew i did that hold on this was the one i wanted to look at first and we'll and so we'll and and then this one was the similar point i i just did that one so we'll talk about yeah just do this next okay there we go so first one we talked about was yeah so anyways <laughs> this is the this is the one i wanted to point to. this is the reference point i was making so same point this person responds saying this data this data would like a word with you, which is interesting. So it's, it's really not, it's just a, a, a statement, tweet, image, apparently saying COVID is associated with higher risks of cardiovascular disease and death in short term and long term, according to a study in nearly 160,000 participants. Okay. So it's very interesting that, first of all, that's not even, you know, that's just a, a post. This is what the link was as it loads. Hold on. Here we go. COVID-19 patients retain elevated risk from death for at least 18 months after infection. Okay. So it's a study and you should read it. Look at it for yourself. The point is this person says, well, that's not data. They said the link to the data is in the article and the link to the article, which we'll look at. Son of a gun. How did I misplace that? Hold on one second. Huh. 
Oh, oh, that's what I did. I was going to be so mad. I thought I had it up, but it's right here. Okay, my apologies. Okay, so back to the point. They provide the link to the article. And so I go into the article and look at it. And this the point was the same thing CNN did. And it just blows me away that we're at a point where people, and maybe they're not real. Maybe they're bots. I don't know. But here's what the, here's what the study is that they posted in, in comparison to what we were looking at. Right? So I'm posting a gigantic peer-reviewed study from a highly respected group that is peer-reviewed that's finding a damning reality. Here's what this one says. And the, defi- the definitions of COVID-19 infection. It says infection with COVID-19 was defined as those having a positive COVID-19 PCR test. So first of all, just pointing out that a PCR test is not sound in the context of proving whether or not they have this. Because even they admit there's false positive, false negatives. So first of all, that might be a huge caveat. But it says or hospital admission code for COVID-19 related diagnoses. So a hugely unverifiable. The point is hospital admission codes were wildly abused. That's been verifiably proven 100 times over. But it says being an observational study. So first of all, observational compared to random controlled trial, peer reviewed, only the association between COVID-19 infection and risks for the specific disease outcomes can be established rather than causality. Okay, so that one can't even prove that that's in fact what caused what we're talking about. Then the most important point. Oh, did I really post that twice? Gosh, darn it. Man, I really screwed this up. <laughs> Hold on. I know I've got the other image in there. Hold on. Son of a gun. Okay. Nope, that's not the one. Here it is. Okay. So this is what the main point was ultimately the same thing was that is this, this is I'm I'm just completely ruining this point because I had the things misplaced. The bottom line is it's the same point, and I could have just said that instead of ruining all of this. Is that it was they followed well into August 2021. Same point, which is lost now because I screwed it all up. But the bottom line is we're putting forward this idea that look, 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 it's worse. COVID's worse. But in their own study, they do the same thing. They go, nope, it was pre-vaccination, but they follow their problems all the way into August 2021, when a lot of those same people then got injected. So there's a game being played in every possible way we look at this, where they're conflating vaccination definitions, they're conflating the time when they get it, they're allowing them to get injected, and then saying that's because of COVID, they're getting them a test after vaccination and saying that's because of COVID, every possible way. And then people pushing back on this clearly seem to not care about all of these holes. And when you push, when you point to a peer-reviewed study that's wildly sound, it's just, well, that's, that's, that's fake because I don't like that group or those peers aren't good enough. And I just, I think it's incredible. So here is the original study of the Pfizer phase three, or rather not even, it's, I keep saying that, it's Pfizer and Moderna, because it says right here, a secondary analysis of serious adverse events reported in the placebo-controlled phase three random controlled trials of Pfizer and Moderna, both of them. Pfizer and Moderna mRNA COVID-19 vaccines were associated with an excess risk of serious adverse event, hospitalization, death, permanent disability of special interest of 10.1 to 15.1 per 10,000. That's where we get the one in 800 when you combine them down here where it says a right there, 12.5 combined risk of the two was 12.5 serious adverse events for every 10,000 injected. That is one in 800 
And remember, we've already talked about this in regard to the injections being given and how many problems we're seeing because of that, the net harm discussion. Let's see if I can get that to pop up real quick. Well, there's the Substack. That'll work. And that, on that same note, make sure you follow us on the Substack. Peer-reviewed science shows COVID injection outweighs potential benefit. Uh, right here. A net harm. Booster mandates... So forcing kids to take them are expected to cause a net harm because in this peer-reviewed study from the British Medical Journal, same point. To prevent one, not death, but hospitalization, assuming that's what's happening, to prevent one COVID hospitalization, they argue that it takes 31,207 to 42,836 young adults aged 18 to 29, the people that need it the least, or nobody needs it, in my opinion, those potentially 42,000 Young kids or adolescents need to receive, or adults, whatever, 18, 29, need to receive three injections, all all of them, three, to stop one COVID hospitalization. Now, that is anticipated to cause 18.5 serious, serious adverse events for every, for age. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowingly obvious how dangerous this is. A net harm. Combined, there was a 16% higher risk of serious adverse events in the mRNA injections. Specifically, Pfizer had a 36% higher risk of adverse events compared to placebo. But no big deal, though, because we're wrong and we're conspiracy theorists. And this is why it's so plainly obvious that people are in the corporate media, the government, on the regulatory agencies are willfully hiding from this. Here's the sun. Death riddle. <laughs> I guess they're tired of saying, we're baffled. It's a riddle. Death riddle. Mystery as Australians dying at levels not seen in 80 years. We're baffled, guys. We're so confused about why this thing is killing everybody that we know kills people. It's just so ridiculous. March 7th. More than 174,000 deaths were registered in Australia in 2022, 12% more than was predicted. This represents one of the largest excess death levels outside the pandemic in 80 years. We're baffled, guys. Who who wonders what's going on? And just to go back and point out the same kind of game that's been going on forever. 2022, brain buster. Mystery brain illness baffles Canadian doctors. And my point is, you can find this stuff everywhere. Not to say this proves that's what's happening. But what I can prove is that nowhere in these articles, nowhere in the scientific literature, or rather the, the medical literature, are you going to find even the possible suggestion that the, that the injection should even be discussed? How is that even possible when you can have the evidence and science, peer-reviewed and otherwise, finding exactly what they're saying they're baffled about? COVID-19 based our injections and the risk of prion disease as you know, ALS, Alzheimer's, neurological problems, baffled about brain illnesses. Here's the point I made before. This, one, this, is, this one's from 2022. Doctors baffled by severe hepatitis in kids. Well, I'm not baffled. Here, here's, what, six different studies finding an association with the COVID-19 injections and specifically liver problems and hepatitis? Because the point there is the, the hepatocellular liver injury. Like, there's an overlap there. Doctors baffled by mysterious syndrome that's causing massive spike in youth fatalities and cardiac arrest. Gee, I wonder if it could be the thing that causes cardiac problems. What do you think? I mean, it's just incredible. Here's 
uh, trial site news. Breakthrough COVID-19 vaccine injury study links mRNA vaccines to triggering autoimmune diseases. I mean, it's this is everywhere. True North points out public health no longer advising boosters for most Canadian adults. Again, point I made before. How is that possible with their narrative? How is it possible? According to them, we didn't reach herd immunity. Okay, well, so they're, they're, by their logic, we're all still going to die, right? So either they've been lying right up until they realized they lost and just stopped, or something shifted and they didn't tell us. I mean, th- it's that simple. There's no misunderstanding that they are exposing what they were doing here, or that they're lying. How else do you explain that? I would love to hear somebody's argument for why they pulled this back right now. I guarantee there's some kind of narrative, but you can't just skip over what they said a week ago, a month ago, that we need to keep doing this because children are at risk and we're all going to die. I guarantee you all the warped minds out there still think that, despite what they're doing now. That's why they're telling them they have to wear masks. No, CDC, we need to keep wearing masks. Trust the science that you're now telling me I don't need to, but I'm the science now because I've always... (laughs) Don't even try. They're lost. Oh, I think, let me see. Oh, yeah, this is just a couple points here. Canada's vaccine advisory says many Canadians should not inject a COVID-19 booster this spring. It, the NACI is currently not recommending an additional bivalent booster for the general population, despite them saying the exact opposite, that it was going to be consistent every year for a long time. Okay, but not, not anymore. Not until the next time they tell you need it, though, right? That's how this is going to work. True North doing a good job. Now, I also point out that, as Steve Barclay says, through our partnership with Moderna, NHS patients will benefit from homegrown mRNA vaccines. Lovely. You know, the thing they've proven work really well, right? To protect against respiratory viruses like COVID and flu. They're literally pushing the same thing, like like on the back of one of the most obviously failed efforts I've ever seen. Because I guess the people like Steve Barclay don't get the writing on the wall. They're lost in their own echo chambers, or rather they're wildly out of touch in their billionaire elitist circles. They only care about what their CDC and FDA and the government says and the financial interest they have. Moderna's new innovation and technology center is set to open in 2025 in Oxfordshire. 2025. I mean, these are being built right now. This is literally still happening. I just can't even believe it. As I said, the biggest medical failure, fraud in history, even that's where I was going to include that. I had a tweet that, uh, let's see. Let me see if I can just pull it. There you go. I'll just pull this up. This is what I was referencing. I mean, I, this blows me away. The biggest medical fraud failure in history, I think fraud, even Fauci admitted this was a failure in this very article. This is literally Fauci going, this didn't work. Not because the variants, not because you didn't do what you were told, not because the anti-vaxxers. He literally writes in this that the effort they made, the, the, the direction they took did not make sense. It didn't work, or rather just make sense, my point, but when he writes down there that it did not ultimately achieve what they were trying to achieve. I mean, it's just, it's amazing that he can write that in 2022. And yet not only are they not stopping, but it's continuing forward. <laughs> I'm sure you can hear that right now. I'm, I'm laughing because. <laughs> Sorry to break on a serious point here. Easily the only time in my life that I've ever regretted buying a, do- a toy for my dog. It's the wor- It's the best toy she's ever had, but it's <laughs> something that I'm gonna have to take away from her right now. <laughs> Sorry about that. Any case, some people, certain people in my life are laughing right now when they hear that because it's something that's been driving me crazy that she loves. But I'm she's gonna drive anyway. Back to the point. Okay, so 
admitted this. And not only are they not slowing down, but they're ramping up production of this highly deadly, scientifically verified shot, as well as everything else they can jam mRNA into, right? It, with pet vaccines and, and injecting animals. I mean, it's everywhere, everywhere. And our mRNA is just only one part of this. But not only that, but remember, as we just talked about, and Decensored News is pointing out, Elon Musk partners with Gates-funded biotech company to produce mRNA microfactories for COVID vaccines. This is happening. So all of this everywhere is completely interlapped, over, interconnected, overlapped, and it is, still, it is still going in this direction, even as the biggest failure we've ever seen is happening. I mean, just think about the dishonesty there. Now, to finish with this discussion of the, the lab leak, or rather the reality, I think, of the last resort to make you think that it wasn't something intentional, either the way they handled it afterward or literally made it happen. I mean, these are questions we should ask. I, I, I want to give you the shout out to Milk Bar TV, which I play in the beginning. The new, this is his new video, The Lies Surrounding the Lab Leak Theory and Natural Immunity Are Exposed. He did a great job on this. Now, I, let, me, let me do this really quickly to, to uh, save myself as my, my beautiful dog is, is going to start going crazy with this toy. I need to play this clip for you yet again, even though I played it in the beginning. And I'll be right back. The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Dr. Anthony Fauci is shooting down theories that the coronavirus was man-made. We're hearing the story. We are doing a very thorough examination. The next day, April 16th, a frustrated Collins emails Fauci. Wondering if there's something NIH can do to help put down this very destructive conspiracy. A day later, Fauci replies, quote, I would not do anything about this right now. It is a shiny object that will go away in times. It's quite clear in this case that it came across through animals. Everything about the stepwise evolution over time strongly indicates that this virus. Well, I was going to let it play again, but I realized we're running, you know, it's going to be long today. <laughs> anyway. The, the point is, I, for those that, you know, know my beautiful pup, it's just a wildly annoying, very high-pitched, squeaky toy that I immediately regretted giving her. And I usually take it away before the show because of that exact point, and I forgot. So that's on me. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so the point, though, is let, let's finish off with the conversation of the overlap of the lab leak. I mean, I, the interesting part about this is where we're at now. It's it, I almost find it, it I mean, it isn't, it's... The idea that this was something accidental with everything that we know, with the work before this, with the effort to hide it. I mean, there is no accidental in this anymore. Regardless, it's just this period. I mean, there's nothing about this that's accidental. Even if you think it was a leak, the point is they went on to cover it up immediately. So there's clearly a game being played. So the idea that it's a leak, I think, is an effort, a last-ditch effort to kind of couch this in something that can be di disregarded as incompetence, but of course, not U.S. incompetence, but oh, everybody else. And that's usually how this works, even though this is including all of them simultaneously. That's the reality here. Now here, we just saw this, right? This is what kind of spurred this whole conversation again. And I, I mean, people misunderstood my quick point about it in the beginning of that show was not to say that it's not something we should talk about, but rather just that why in the world anybody would take what they say, whether it's this or anything else, at face value, after flip-flopping four times throughout this entire process, right? My thought was just like, okay, if they're saying this now, what, that almost makes me question it even if I thought it was absolute, right? Because it's interesting that people who thought this, who questioned the government, 
when this came out, said, yeah, see, we knew it. And it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. Why are you using that as confirmation? Like, if we already know they're lying and they keep going back and forth, the fact it's just funny because it's what people have already made up their mind about. You know, it just shows you how these things work. But either way, lab leak, most likely origin of COVID-19 pandemic, Energy Department now says. Now, what was interesting is this is coming from the government, right? So the, the Biden's administration, yet you still weirdly had the the ridiculous, you know, not news, nighttime, pretend news shows that would come on and say, you know, I'm actually talking about like the comedy shows and so on, making fun of this. Like, look at these conspiracy theories. And it's like, wait, they, they, so literally anybody, apparently, I bet you Biden could come out tomorrow and say what they think is fake news. and They would call him a conspiracy theorist. This is how it looks to be rabid. Like they will consume their own people the moment they go away from the narrative. And so the point is that it's, this is like them, the CDC saying, oh, no masks anymore. And then them attacking the CDC. Okay, so what exactly science are you trusting here? The point is you trusted what they were saying. You thought they were telling you the science and then you made your mind up and now you control what the science is apparently. I mean, it's just mind-blowingly stupid. But all that aside, where this goes is very, very important because I do believe that this is something. There is something, that just that's why this was the original discussion point we had on this show for a long time about this topic. Because there's a lot around this that's very questionable. What was going on in Fort District, the fact that there was reports about this all over the world, provably before, after the fact, we're going looking back, where they go, well, look, that's weird. Canada found examples of this in 2018. Japan, France, Taiwan, all these U.S. allies found examples of what they called COVID before it was supposedly found in China. So how does that make sense? Nobody cares about these questions. I don't know why. Yeah, and it all could be fake. Sure. And of course, then we don't want to re- acknowledge the fact that the U.S. and France and the U.K. and all these different entities were involved with Wuhan, not just the making of the play, the location, but actually what was happening there. The material was coming from, from North Carolina University. Eagle Alliance was facilitated. The U.S. had people on the ground, but we're going to pretend like it was only China? Or they, you know, it's, it's just silly the way this gets reduced down. So I do believe that there was a game being played here. And I do think that there was something, or for example, the weird vaping illness that no one wants to talk about and how that was exactly the same kind of overlapping symptoms we saw, even the point they made repeatedly in the beginning, the ground glass opacity in the lungs. Weird that just stopped being talked about the moment that it became clear that that was something, I mean, it was it's just so clear how this was being played. And that all was weirdly circulating for Dietrich. And there was another weird outbreak they discussed as common cold, despite being high mortality, all the way around this other lab or the, the nursing homes that were just outside the area. Now, all of that, again, it could be something else. But the bottom line is none of this aligns with the story that we were told on either side of this. So when this comes out, we need to dive back into this and ask whether or not there's something to this. And here's a great substack, or rather a, a thread and on his substack from Kanoa the Great. And his points are going through this, and I feel like I'm going to have to go quickly through this, guys. I apologize, but I'm just going to read through this. You can watch this for yourself. Dr. Anthony Fauci covertly crafted the influential proximal origin paper that solidified the natural origin theory and dismissed the lab leak as a conspiracy theory. Right? That's this, this discussion right here. Proximal origin. On February 1st, 2020, Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Collins and at least 11 other scientists convened a conference call to discuss COVID-19. It was on this conference call that Dr. Fauci and Collins were first warned that COVID-19 may have leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China, and and further may, may have been intentionally genetically manipulated. Only three days later, on February 4th, 
four participants on the conference call authored a paper entitled The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2 and sent a draft to Dr. Fauci and Collins, which he then carried on acting like he had no involvement in and wasn't even aware of the author. I mean, it's, it's very dishonest. Prior to the final publication, the paper was sent to Fauci for editing and approval. But this is coming directly from the Congress of the United States. I mean, it's this it's in this is manipulation, hiding things around the And this came up from Disclosed TV. Prompt, Fauci prompted the drafting of the very thing he used to then argue it wasn't real. And but remember, even now it's coming back to the other side of the argument. Whether you think that's the truth or not, it shows you that there's a manipulation of the story being sown or however you want to frame that. Oh, that's right. That was the montage clip. Then he goes on to say Fauci was responsible for commissioning and approving that paper, which established the origin narrative that they put forward. Which, by the way, there's plenty of experts that came out and said that that right out of the gate was not accurate, or even the idea that questioned the very possibility of zoonotic transfer. Now, I'm not the expert, but there's plenty of experts out there that will tell you that they don't even think that's possible. But Jim Jordan breaks down how Dr. Fauci funded gain-of-function research and how Fauci's emails indicate his distress when he learned that COVID might have originated from his funding of the Wuhan lab, as well as his efforts to conceal the situation. January 31st, 2020. Second sentence. Eddie, Bob, Mike, and Mike. Friday, January 31st, 2020 at 1032 p.m., Dr. Fauci gets an email from Christian Anderson. Christian Anderson's a British researcher who's received numerous grants from NIH. Two really important sentences are in that email. Two sentences that get Dr. Fauci's attention. The first is this. The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome. So one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features look engineered. Again, this is January 31st, 2020. Second sentence, Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. Email arrives 1032 to Dr. Fauci on January 31st, 2020. Two hours later, two hours later at 1229 in the morning, Dr. Fauci sends an email to his top deputy, Mr. Hugh Oshenkloss. Guy has worked for Fauci for 15 years, part of his inner circle, sends it. Subject line says important in all capital letters. He, he attaches a paper on gain of function research written by Dr. Barrick and Dr. Xi. Dr. Xi, of course, is the so-called bat lady, bat woman, the lady who does research in the Wuhan China lab. And I guess we'll just leave out that Barrick is North Carolina University and that completely implicates the United States. But, you know, of course. This email, Dr. Fauci says, again, to his top deputy, it is essential that we speak this AM. Keep your cell phone on. Read this paper. You will have tasks to do today that must be done. Notice the intensity. Notice the focus. I mean, this is the house is on fire email here. Now, two hours after that, at 2.48 in the morning, Dr. Fauci's busy this morning. 12.29, that email he sent to Dr. Austin Kloss, his top deputy, two hours later at 2.48 in the morning, he sends another email, this one to Robert Cadlick, assistant HHS secretary, Trump appointee, not part of his inner circle, and he attaches a different article to this email, one that says the virus came from an animal that downplays any lab leak theory. Now, again, notice the tone of this one. Bob, this just came out today. Gives a balanced view, best Tony. I mean, totally different from the previous. This is one like, oh, if you get a chance, read this, gives a balanced view. So the tone is different, but also that sentence gives a balanced view. It's not true either. 
That's just not accurate. This article downplays, as I said, the lab leak theory emphasizes evolutionary cause to the virus. What happens next? What happens next? Later that same morning, later that same morning at 11.47 a.m., Dr. Fauci's deputy gets back to him. I just want to read you this whole email. The paper you sent me, the one he sent him on that was written by the virologist from Wuhan, China, and Dr. Barrick. The paper you sent me says the experiments were performed before the gain-of-function pause, but have since been reviewed and approved by NIH. Not sure what that means, since Emily, someone else who works for Dr. Fauci, is sure that no coronavirus work has gone through the P3 framework, which, of course, is the oversight body that's supposed to approve any grant dollars going for gain-of-function research. No coronavirus work has gone through the P3 framework. Final sentence, she will try to determine if we have any distant ties to this work abroad. She will try to determine if our fingerprints are on any of this. All these emails happen in 13 hours. So 13 hours after Dr. Fauci gets the initial email from Christian Anderson saying, looks like this virus is engineered, not consistent with evolutionary theory. Dr. Fauci knows some important facts. First, Dr. Fauci knows there's a lethal virus on the loose that started in Wuhan, China. Second, he knows the American taxpayers have funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan, China. Third, he knows that the research grant didn't go through the required oversight board. Fourth, he knows the virus, quote, looks engineered and, quote, not consistent with evolutionary theory. And finally, fifth, Dr. Fauci knows he may have ties to this work in China. His fingerprints, in fact, may be on this. So what does Dr. Fauci do next? After he says, oh, whatever, what does he do next? He organizes a conference call for later that same day. I mean, this is the busiest 20. Yeah, and this gets into the point we were just making, right? Now, again, I will reiterate, despite the fact that it will be lost on certain people that don't want to hear it. But the point is that there is a valid conversation to be had, regardless of whether you think viruses are real. Right. I mean, and and as I've said many times, as I was, you know, one of the early people having multiple conversations with people like Dr. Kaufman and having entertaining conversations about the the information around all of this. Right. I mean, it's just interesting that, you know, you know the point being that. Ultimately, what we're seeing here is something like that. There are labs that exist. There are things that are being done. My, the point here is not to get mired in. And there's, it's an important conversation, obviously, to find out whether or not that's the case and whether or not that is the crux of how we're being manipulated, which is a valid point to make. But the point being is that there is a lot to be pointed out with what's happening here. Now, that may not sit well with the people that think that that in and of itself is counterproductive. And, you know, maybe you're right. But this jump over the top to argue that by doing that is useless or that somehow that I am part of the like I'm a shill for the government because I'm, you know, how about how about we sit back and acknowledge that you also could be wrong. But you see, that doesn't work well, Rissy, because that's there for sure. This has been proven and maybe you're right. We see I'm able to stand back and go, you know what, even the things that I'm 100 percent certain about, I could be wrong about. Maybe there's something I'm not seeing. The fact that they, that in a large way, that community can't do that right now is a problem. Even as I'm willing to engage and have open conversations, it's more combative and aggressive, and it's a problem. You know what I mean? And so that's really something we should talk about. And I'm going to get into the points about the uh, the, the isolation point because I've been nailing that down from the very beginning. But back to the point here is that regardless of that, that what happened here is dishonest. Whatever's being done is clearly a 
conspiracy by the very definition of the word amongst powerful people that are able to, to do things that do affect your life and your health. So I don't see how it doesn't matter. But, you know, that's what's interesting. Anyway, the bottom line, though, is that here it is <clears throat> with him coming to the point about where Fauci then kind of called on people and may, and essentially commissioned an article that would say what he wanted and says in unredacted February 2020 emails between Welcome Trust Director Jeremy Farrar and Francis Collins and, and Dr. Fauci, the three scientists have a hard time explaining the furin cleavage site, which we talked about at length, and said that, the, that it is highly unlikely to be of natural origin. Number five, it says, while these scientists held the private belief that the lab release was the most likely scenario, and I'm glad he says release, they have also authored the proximal origin paper, right? So that seems wildly contradictory. But it says, uh, which worked to seed the natural origin narrative in the public. But it says, Dr. Fauci, Collins, and Dazak, that's and Dazak being uh, Peter Dazak from North Carolina. Excuse me, I keep I rightly pointed out in the past. I should say, I'll just Chapel Hill, North Car- University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, because they conf- confusing between the other one. It says have gone to great lengths to mislead and deceive the world about the potential lab origin of SARS-CoV-2 because they're just not concealing it. Because they're not just concealing it for themselves, but also for the CIA, DOD, and the U.S. government. But again, even then, potential lab origin. I, I appreciate the work because this is this is objective, right? But it's saying uh, Dr. Andrew Huff, a former VP at EcoHealth Alliance, who's a whistleblower speaking out about this, who I've referenced in the past, made a public statement on January 12th, 2022, alleging that Dr. Peter Daszak, the president of EcoHealth Alliance, informed him that he was, in fact, employed by the CIA. Now, that's taken at just that's Andrew Huff's word, but it's an interesting claim and it wouldn't surprise me. Now it says uh, down here, Dr. Peter Dazak, EcoHealth Alliance, financed by USAID, DOD, and other U.S. government agencies, partnered with Ralph Barrick of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and Xi Jing Li of the Wuhan Institute of Virology to conduct gain of function research, right? Which was sp- supposed to be not, you know, bottom line is the gain of function discussion was outsourced because it was recognized as a problem, even as they quietly allowed it and seemingly are again doing right now. And I'll get to that point in a minute. Peter Daszak describes the process of creating a virus similar to SARS-CoV-2 at the Wuhan lab on March 28, 2016. Then when you get a sequence of a virus and it looks like a relative of a known nasty pathogen, just like we did with SARS, we found other coronaviruses in bats, a whole host of them. Some of them looked very similar to SARS. So we sequenced the spike protein, the protein that attaches to cells. Then we, well, I didn't do this work, but my colleagues in China did the work. You create pseudoparticles, you look, you insert the spike proteins from those viruses, see if they bind to human cells. And each step of this, you move closer and closer to this virus could really become pathogenic in people. So you narrow down the field, you reduce the cost, and you end up with a small number of of viruses that really do look like killers then when you get a sequence of a virus if you just think think about that just what he's saying you know what i mean like that it's just it's amazing that that stuff was being openly discussed and people just weren't listening to it these people are mad scientists doing very dangerous things that they then even themselves admitted was dangerous and the point is they just kept doing it 
Dr. Andrew Huff, the former VP of EcoHealth Alliance, has submitted whistleblower complaints to Congress alleging EcoHealth Alliance funded the development of SARS-CoV-2, engaged in fraud against the U.S. government, and the EcoHealth Alliance CEO, Dr. Peter Daszak. It's weird how that keeps happening on Twitter. It works with the CIA. Isn't it weird how, on your phone if you get these show mores, it like opens up the link on the website. Like that's very strange. A lot of weird stuff happening with Twitter right now. Dr. Fauci announced NIH lifts funding thought pause of gain of function research at NIH Advisory Council meeting on January 29, 2018. Why exactly? Dr. Fauci re- deceived Congress about financing gain of function research at the Wuhan lab, not just for his own benefit, but also for the CIA, DOD, and the U.S. government. While China is not innocent, the U.S. government needs to look in the mirror before costing blame, which I completely agree with. We, I, I don't know how many times I can say it, Madam Chair. We did not fund... Oh, this is one of those montages. That's right. Well, it's a good clip. You should watch it for yourself. Now, 13, and this is just Dick Cheney citing a New York Times article planted by his administration to push the Iraq WMD lie, right? That's how this works. In 2020, Fauci did the same thing. He put his own paper out there, which he pointed at to justify what's happening. They know this works. This is how they play the game. Now, here... Well, again, here's that if you want to read more on the, the discussion of the paper he put out, that's important. Now, here is a, again, a point I made in the past. This is October 20th, 2022. But the point is, that I, I, we're willing to bet this is just a, a preprint forever. <laughs> you know, it hasn't been formally peer reviewed, and they'll always act like that means it's not valid unless they want to talk about it. But I would love how the peer reviewed process just ignores certain things these days. But here's what it founds, and it's what it found, and I've shown you this already. This in the lay summary to make a virus in a lab, researchers usually engineer the viral genome to add a, and remove stitching sites called restriction sites. We found that SARS CoV has the restriction site fingerprint that is typical for synthetic viruses. A synthetic fingerprint of SARS CoV 2 is anomalous in wild coronaviruses and common in lab assembled viruses. The concentration of the silent mutations in the restriction sites is extremely unlikely to have arisen by random evolution. Both the restriction site fingerprint and the pattern of mutations generating them are extremely unlikely in wild coronaviruses and nearly universal in synthetic viruses. Our findings strongly suggest a synthetic origin of COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2. Very interesting. It's amazing how this stuff just gets ignored when when it, it contradicts what they're saying. Now, here is a great clip put out by Chief Nerd and gets into the isolation point. And I do, this is very important. Something we've been talking about from the very beginning. Actually, one of the, that's one of the first times I had on Dr. Kaufman to talk about this exact discussion because he was really ringing that bell on the, the lack of pure, isolation, purification, Koch's postulates and what that means. Now, let's watch this clip and we'll talk about it. Entering this, this golden era where, uh, you know, biology is going through its own digital transformation. We have more and more tools that digitize aspects of biology. So uh, at Illumina, for example, we make the machines that do genomic sequencing. So you put in blood or saliva or plant material, and we'll tell you uh, the DNA or the RNA in that sample. And there are a whole set of use cases uh, after you digitize you know, the, the data. And I'll give you a couple. Uh, one was during COVID. So we were called into China in the fall of 2020, late 2020, uh, sorry, 2019, to help them diagnose what was then a flu of unknown origin. And so we did the first sequence of the SARS-CoV-2 genome. That was published on January 10th. And around the world, what happened was uh, a couple of companies, so Moderna in Cambridge and, and BioNTech in, in Germany, took that data and started working on their vaccine. Now, what's interesting is that Moderna, for example, has never had the live virus on their site. 
it was all a software problem from them. I remember talking to Stefan, and he was saying, look, we're basing our entire vaccine program on that data you published. It better be good data, because that's it. That's all we're using. And, uh, and you can get a sense that Moderna is one of, arguably you know, one of the most, uh, you know, uh, one of the more important companies in biology right now, and yet it's all a software problem for them. And so that's a use case of once you digitize biology, you can solve profound biological problems. Another it's a good example, thing you got it right. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, Jeez. So you know why that's important, obviously, right? Because this is, this is what I have been trying to get people to point, pay attention to from the very beginning. Here's what I said on the just response to this under his tweet. I said, the it's a good clip. It's very important, actually. This was clear from the very beginning. It reveals that whether or not it was isolated, as, it, as I've made clear many times, I, I don't think that it was, it didn't really matter for their already established plan to use the unvetted mRNA platform model, which was. They've never, mRNA injections have been studied and tested and repeatedly failed for 20 years, but they had never actually rolled out or actually used the platform model, right? And that's the plug-and-play platform discussion. This was all a manipulation, as we can see now. And this is my response, and this was the, the framing of this being some kind of new revelation. I just said, no, that's been, <laughs> it's been going on forever, and I pointed this out. So here is the actual Wayback Machine version, because you guess what? They deleted this page. I wonder why. Which shows you a couple... Actually, let me grab this one, too. Let's see if I can get this to come up. Oh, that's right. I did it on this page last time. Let's see. I was... Our mRNA platform, there it was. It opens it up on the Wayback Machine, which is good. So starting on this one, this is their... The time is of the essence outline, Right? And these were the images that I was showing on there. To the point, as I've shown many times, January 11th, 2020, Chinese authorities shared the genetic sequence of the novel coronavirus. By January 13th, mRNA-1273, which is Moderna's, the same thing they're giving now, was already finalized. The sequence was finalized. So right there, the first point is that China even admitted that at the, when that happened, that it had not been isolated. And why has the data not been shared? No, they didn't isolate as a virus. That's the issue. CDC speaking with MSNBC. Now, the argument is, of course, that it was later isolated. But obviously, that based on everything we understand, Koch's postulates, the idea of actual isolation, which is a necessary part of that to prove that it is what we say it is, hasn't happened. Now they are all sorts of people argue that it has, but the point is the data they show, one, in almost every case you point at, doesn't meet Koch's postulates, which is supposed to be the gold standard for proving that. But it also has, pl- the other ones have examples of things that weren't technically purified or isolated, that they have a, a, a sample that has other things in it. So therefore, they have not proven that. Now, my argument is, and I, I've spoken with so many people about this who are high ex- high level experts that understand the process that are saying that they just it hasn't happened. But even though even some of those people do still think that's what, that it's real. But either way, the bottom line is that it's not been proven to be what they say it is. Now, my point in that doesn't have to mean that it hasn't happened. Just to be fair in this argument, the point is that it's possible, one, that they found something when they did that process that proved that it, let's say, was fake, or rather, you know, like a bioweapon, and then chose to not show us that because that's not something they want you to see. Now, that's certainly possible, right? The point is, just because it hasn't been shown doesn't mean it hasn't happened, or that it hasn't happened doesn't mean that it can't. Just those are just objective truths. 
Nonetheless, I think it's quite obvious that it hasn't been. And I think this point in and of itself makes that really, really obvious because why would they have even cared? Why would it even need to be? If Moderna from the beginning was already using the platform, which now this is opened, I'll show you what this says. This is what it is, the mRNA platform. And remember all the talk about computer chips and plug and play software and they, oh, you conspiracy theorists. That's what they said. Of course, now they delete this page too and you can't find this stuff, but here's what it says. Recognizing the broad potential of mRNA science, we set out to create an mRNA technology platform that functions very much like an operating system on a computer. It is designed so that it can plug and play interchangeably with different programs. In our case, the program or app is our mRNA drug, you know, and your body being the system. That's very clear. So the point is, when they have a new problem, they input a new sequence and output a new program and just add the program to your system. No safety testing. That's This is literally the point. They've already done that with the bivalent shot. That's what they said they did. They didn't do anything new. Remember, they, they just gleaned over information. And, there you go, new one. Now, they're still pushing that out despite whatever they tell you is the new variant. It makes no sense. The bottom line is this is the plan and was before COVID ever happened. So explain for me why that's now being talked about as the next step. The point is this was already designed. This was already in place. And this perfectly lines up with the fact that this was something executed. You could argue that doesn't prove that. And it'd be fair to say, but my God, how do you miss that? Now, the point is from January 13th, after two days, that's all they needed, two days, a genetic sequence, and it was done. Now, ask yourself on top of that why the Trump administration was apparently okay with the Chinese genetic sequence that was used for all of the warp speed injections. I mean, you could argue Trump didn't know that. Certainly possible. I don't buy it. I think that this is all big manipulation. The bottom line is that whether it did or not, Trump's administration used Chinese genetic sequence for all the warp speed injections and then... What's going China bad guy? They didn't let us know. It was just stupid. I mean, now you're looking back, it's obviously cartoonish. But from January 13th forward, it only took till February 7th for them to literally make the first physical batch of that sequence, of the finalized sequence. By February 24th, they'd already shipped it out. By, by March 4th, it completed review. By March 16th, they'd already injected somebody. Okay, so at this point, it's provable. That this is the case. Now, he, now going back to what he said here, he's telling you that was always the case. The Moderna created this without ever having it in their presence. So why was it ever necessary? And why do they pretend that it is now? Like, what happens if they isolated and it turned out they were wrong? Would they have stopped? I mean, who knows? Maybe that's what happened. The bottom line is, it's obviously clear that this is a big manipulation. That all this stuff was... Why are they censoring old information and hiding their background? How about this? I always point out how ridiculous this is. This is Moderna's own video on YouTube about Moderna's potential vaccine against COVID. Check this out. Oh, here, let's just go directly to what the live version. Ah, damn it. This video on YouTube as of today has been censored. Why? It violated YouTube's terms of service. You want to try explaining that for me? You know what I mean? We could actually watch it. I've played it. I've done it before. And it's, it's a creepy, weird video about exactly this stuff, about the plug and play. And they probably asked for that to be taken down. I mean, the bottom line is, this is a video that's supposed to be explaining what they're doing and YouTube censored it as a violation of terms of service. That's fun. <laughs> I mean, that's just about as ridiculous as it gets. But 
clearly there's more going on around this in regard to how they played this forward. Now, going back to the virus, non-virus discussion, right? The, po- it, the point is they clearly did something. They clearly executed something and they didn't need the thing, you, whether it exists or not. They didn't even need that. So, this, that, so it's almost like we're coming to the same point, even though like this is what I'm trying to show people. Is that those out there that are have already stopped listening because you think that I'm somehow towing a line, even though I'm just trying to entertain their arguments and expose this kind of stuff and entertain all possible th- discussions. The point is that the reason it's focused on that kind of virus content is because that's what they're talking about. My job is to break down what they're saying and show you why they're lying. Like it's just like th- these people think I should only be talking about what this little circle is talking about. Ignore everything else is going on. It makes no sense, especially from a news reporting standpoint. Right? I get why some people out there are doing that. But from a standpoint of the daily engagement of the contents, we're trying to break them down. My point, though, is that as if we were to work together on this and you people weren't disregarding the conversation because they hear that word, you would find that we're coming to the point to where we're all seeing that it didn't even matter whether it was there. They're still doing this and we can all still acknowledge that they're lying to us. Right. This is the kind of idea of like the, the we talked about it this morning, actually, you know, like the 9-11 conversation, that there are people that interject themselves into these conversations and create like irrational division, even based on valid points. And then it becomes impossible to have any real conversation about anything past that point. I just think that's important. Now, here is another addition to this. Sasha Latipova interview, really, really outstanding interview, as always, from Taylor Hudak. And, and, you know, as you guys know, a member of the Lost American Vagabond, how Pfizer and the Department of Defense defrauded the public. Now, I highly recommend that you watch this in, in its entirety. I'm just going to play you a clip of what the, the kind of one of the main things they get into. But you guys, the, the, her discussion has gotten pretty, pretty well known so far. You know, and the idea that this is what we've always thought that it was. In fact, what Whitney and I have been talking about from the beginning, that it was obviously a Department of Defense operation. That part of it was never secret. But the the interesting part of it is how it was used or rather how we were manipulated about how it was being done, right? That this was really a medical or a a military countermeasures operation for the Department of Defense. And now that that completely removes all the different kind of things they pretend that they're bound to, which is why it's gone the way it has. Or are the FDA or our people are at the point being that the FDA is essentially window dressing. And the idea is that explains why people in the FDA were resigning in protest and nothing stopped. I mean, it's, it's so clear that we are watching. I mean, this, the, the, the point is that makes this much larger than we realize. So watch this. There's a great clip to, to kind of make that point. That countermeasures are not pharmaceuticals. Therefore, they are not regulated by the FDA. But I think that many people in the public, your average person, would believe that the FDA is regulating these injections. So is the FDA impersonating the regulator? Exactly. They have been playing a key role in this entire lie and um, propaganda operation. This is a very uh, sophisticated military-grade propaganda operation unleashed on the Americans by the U.S. government, but also on the entire world uh, by U.S. government and their global collaborators. Um, So the propaganda, the most important piece of the propaganda is to uh, lie to the public about, first of all, COVID being a health event. It's not a health event. It's a deliberate deployment of biowarfare agents. Mm. It's a really good interview, guys. I highly recommend you check it out. And, and then uh, just one last point, 
before we, I mean, I'm kind of going to wrap it up. I had some, some Ukraine stuff that I was going to get into actually not even the big, the, the, the focus on Bakhmut and that different conversation, the other stuff, but I just time-wise I'm going to wrap it. But I, I'm tell, I told you before that I'm going, I'm feeling very rededicated to making sure I can get it, you know, trying to get four to five shows out a week. And I think that I mean, guaranteed one of the next shows I'm going to do is going to be focused on Ukraine, but the same kind of point we're just making. And I'm really, I really want to bridge this gap because I do think that there's important conversations being had around this. But for instance, somebody in the chat points out that Malone, Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough argued that it has been isolated. And yes, I, I've heard them say that. I've interviewed them myself and had them say that. Then it goes on to say, but Ryan quotes and presents them, which, yeah, not everything all the time they say, but I do. Here's what they said yesterday. Here's a point he made today, right? But then he goes on to say, how is this objective? Now think about the, the, the false, think about the reductive action there. Like, so, so our, I guess the argument is that I'm not allowed to point at what people are saying unless I completely agree with this one point about virus isolation. Like, how does that even remotely make sense? Like, I don't, the logic is being lost in this. The point is that I engage with all sorts of people that I disagree with. I talk about all sorts of comments. I mean, every time I reference CNN, is that, are you, are you arguing that I agree with everything they say all the time? Like, I just, I don't get the, the blinders that are on in this conversation. There's plenty I don't agree with from a cola or Malone, especially right now, in, in regard to Malone. But the point is that Dr. McCullough and I see I, I had a lot of different things, but even when I last discussed things with him, I had difference of opinions on certain things, one of which is that main point that I have said and maintained from the beginning and still strongly believe that it has not been isolated. And I directly said this talking to Peter, Dr. McCullough. But the fact is that that somehow doesn't make sense to people. I don't understand that. Why it is that we think that we have to pick some side. Actually, I know why. It's the two-party paradigm. It is politics that are breaking our rationale and driving us into some sort of tribal corner, right? And I just think that we need to break away from that. I think that we can mend this and get to a better position where we all see that we're being manipulated. And look, continue to question me. Feel free to ask whether you think that I am some sort of shill, but to just outright make that accusation without evidence is pretty stupid, right? So engage in these conversations and I'm more than willing to listen. I'm here to, I want to have these conversations. In fact, one of these recent things, they're, oh, they're calling you out. Well, guess what I did? I reached out and said, let, let, I'd love to have them on the show. And guess what? They said no. So I'm just, my, the bottom line is that this is something that we should all want. We should try to cross these. I mean, going back to 9-11, it's the same damn thing, guys. And that did really did hinder the reality for some people that the government was responsible, at the very least, and completely involved because we debate points that are important, but that mire us in a dispute. As long as we're divided, they really don't care. I mean, a valid point to make, too, is that I've said many times, if they get you asking the wrong questions, they really don't care what answers you find. And I agree with that. But that's why I'm not only asking one direction. I am engaging in all these different conversations and keeping an open mind, which is why I continue to say that I am engaging in that conversation. And I do genuinely think that there's something to it. But apparently that's not enough. It's all or nothing. And that's usually a sign there's something wrong when that's the kind of mindset that's that that's, you know, going back to to uh, Star Wars, right? There's only 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 Siths operate in absolute. I'm a nerd, right? All right. So last couple of points. I want to reiterate the reality here of the engineered direction long before this happened. US, the U.S. government funded research, verifiably, as the documents are right in this show, 
on specifically coronavirus-induced myocarditis. That's, I mean, a little too on the nose, don't you think? And this is in the 90s, rabbits and so on, in regard to using coronaviruses to directly induce myocarditis. <laughs> and, and now we're watching this play out today. And then, of course, there was another follow-up conversation about, well, did the U.S. government then work on that thing, a myocarditis-inducing virus? Well, that's yes. And then work to aerosolize it. Well, those both happen, but are they connected? You can look at the facts for yourself. I think it's very important. Now, here's Bill Gates, of course, saying the opposite, which, you know, this is so stupid. Why this non-scientist, non-doctor gets to, you know, trots him out and goes, well, here's what all these doctors and scientists are saying. What's the truth, Bill? <laughs> oh, well, they're wrong. Oh, good. Then we can all sleep tonight. Like, what in the world is this guy doing, giving people advice on things that he does no education on? Like, look, you could argue he's done his research. Fine. So have a lot of people. But how is it any different than an average person who does their research that you call conspiracy theorist? As he just goes, the evidence is very clear that it's naturally caused. No, it's not. There's, at the very least, it's completely disputed amongst even the high-level experts. But the fact that Bill comes out and says, fact, you're all dumb, you're wrong, here's the narrative, that's wildly suspicious. Because that's how this tends to go. Oh, and then let's not forget that Eco Alliance just got some fresh funding for $3 million from the Department of Defense recently. After all of this, after everything we're talking about, they're still funding these same entities because they don't care that you know. That's the reality. Now, here was the clip about the gain-of-function discussion, which I'll play really quickly, and then we'll wrap up the last couple points, where he was just asked, Kirby, about gain-of-function on the open. And not only did he first try to pretend like he didn't know what it was, but he goes on to basically go, yes, that's what's happening. How do we go from that's not real, that they changed the definition, that Fauci denies it ever happened, to now openly admitting that we're conducting it right now, unless we're in some massive manipulation? ...version of the virus, you've made clear that there's no consensus. Does the president believe, though, that the reward outweighs the risk when it comes to gain-of-function research? Does the reward outweigh the risk when it comes to gain of that type I of research? Got a history degree. You're going to have to say that again. I mean, look at even look at his face. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, that, that, I mean, Kirby's usually pretty good, but that this was pathetic. Like, like you're, you're first of all, you're going to act like you don't know what he's talking about. Like everybody everywhere knows this conversation, especially those in the government, especially the White House press briefing. I mean, it's just bad. That again. Does the president believe that this type of gain-of-function research is proven? He believes that... Um, yep, yep. It's important to help prevent future pandemics. Aha, so right there. Yeah, so you're already... Yes, and he does say yes at the end anyway. So we're back to the point where we're, tell, we're being told that by making things more dangerous and, making, and pretending you're making, you know, or maybe making vaccines for it, just in the one in a billion chance that somebody else could make that same rare thing they don't know you're making. That so, certainly makes sense. And then the more likely thing, if that's actually what's happening, is these that end up being used or leaked or whatever we want to call it. Historically speaking, that's happened. I mean, <clears throat> I pointed out Fort Detrick. <clears throat> Excuse me. Admitting one leak every three days for seven years straight. That's directly from their own stats. And they work with Ebola. They work with coronaviruses. They work with all sorts of high-level things. It's BSL-4. It's the highest level. But we're going to let them do this still now, despite how... The, I mean, it's just completely irrational. It means he understands that there has to be legitimate scientific research into 
the sources or potential sources. That's not what he's asking about. See, now he's just trying to play the game and acting like he's talking about investigating other people's work. Of pandemics so that we understand it, so that we can prevent them and we can prevent them from happening, obviously. Right. You don't need to investigate gain-of-function research to investigate the sources of outbreaks. Um, but he also believes, and, and, and this is why he wants the, the whole of government effort here to understand it, um, that that research has to be done, must be done, in a safe and secure manner as, and as transparent as possible to the rest of the world so that so people know what's going on. I think that's a fancy way of saying yes. My God. And here we are. Right back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gain of function for, for safety. That's where we are. I, I don't even know how that's possible. Well, here is the clip of, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to wrap on this, guys, because I was, I was going to go into the Matt Hancock thing in this last part and then get into some Ukraine stuff out of that, but we're going to wrap right now. But so this is the point about the whole Matt, Matt Hancock thing, which, by the way, I have my suspicions about what that's being done, why it's being done. And it's not even just that I think he's being thrown under the bus. Something about this feels very suspicious. But the bottom line, in case you haven't seen it, is the idea that they're openly, and it's in that clip we played from Milk, Milk Bar TV, that, you know, talking about the, the variant. Where was it? There was the other one from, oh yeah, right here. This is the thread from Nick Hansen, Nick Hudson, excuse me, who you should follow. He's doing great work with Panda. Uh, where it's the the clip, the one part of it where it says, you know, when do we release the new, oh, right here. When do we deploy the new variant? I mean, come on, like, or seriously. Like, people are going to try to pretend like he's being facetious or something. But we know that the reality of this is either, either they mean a real thing or just the narrative, right? When do we let them know that we're pretending there's a new narrative or new variant? Either way you spin it, it's amazing that this is still going with stuff like this coming out. Mind-blowing. One week after his, after his leaked text message, UK Health Minister Ken, Matt Hancock spreads fear on national TV as he, quote, deploys the new variant and frightens the pants out of everyone. He literally comes out and does what he says he's going to do. I'm going to hype it and make him scared. It's exactly what happened. As even the Daily Mail writes... Matt Hancock discussed deploying the new variant to frighten the pants. I mean, it's, just, it's unbelievable. And then just to end on this point, to reiterate a great interview I had with Sonia Elijah, the willful fraud. Did Pfizer and BioNTech collude to falsify vaccine data? Yes. Yes. And the information is undeniable and everything's coming out left and right. And I can't wait for the resolution of the recent part of Brooke Jackson's case because her and I already have a standing interview waiting because we were going to interview. Remember, we were, had the interview set. And there was a she had, there was a family thing and we didn't happen. And then suddenly there was an, uh, an in, uh, something was happening with their case. And so they were like, oh, we got to pause all interviews. So it's in the process. And as soon as there's resolution to this, Brooke and I are going to connect and tell you what's going on. Because it's just, it's obvious. It, it all connects. I mean, even Sasha Latipova referenced Brooke Jackson's case. And we already talked about this, remember? We're in, in their own case, in their own, in court, they literally said, paraphrasing, that we didn't defraud. We, we gave them the fraud that they ordered. I mean, she discusses this. I mean, it's just, it's, we're at a time, we're at a point now where this is on the table. Net harm. These things are hurting people. Their own trials now prove the data, the data now proves after a reevaluation that it's killing people, that it's super dangerous, that it was less than the flu. I mean, all of it, it's right there. Now, the fact that it keeps inching forward, in fact, that it keeps sprinting forward, it kind of shows you that they've never really cared that what you think, but it also shows you that we're not doing anything about it. And I'm not talking about violence, but if, if people could stand up and realize that the majority is very clearly on the same page right now, 
I believe something could do something. Something could be done. Now, I leave that for individuals to decide. I'm not the savior. I'm not going to give everybody the answers. The point is that I believe that you could do something about this. I'm doing this. After this, we go out and we do things in the real world. Bring awareness to people. Make sure they understand that we're all on the same side at this point. It is the government, both the left and the right, all of them combined, doing this to you. And the evidence is clear. I just couldn't do this without you guys. The last American vagabond only exists because you support what we're doing. Because you believe in the objective, nonpartisan work that we're doing. Oh, yeah. Just since someone's referencing in the bottom of the chat, as I said, on, on the 20th, we're planning a sort of T-Lav advertising, uh, um, uh, not, not advertising, what's the word, T-Lav fundraiser, kind of like a telethon kind of idea. More so like doing like Rockfin chats or whatever and comments and donating and we'll read them and people are coming on and, you know, Whitney and Derek and Robert and Taylor and everyone's going to be coming and going. It'll be fun. And it's just kind of trying to, you know, we're, we're at a point where, as always, you know, things are coming and going. I'm not even getting into it lately, but, you know, things are being stopped and things are being removed. And, you know, so we're just trying to raise funds. We've got a lot coming your way. So thank you all for being here today. Long show. Important information. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. We have over 1,300 documented cancer victims right now, just in a one-mile radius. I'll be quite honest with you, it's changed my life so radically. Sometimes I don't even know who I am. 1,300 people in a one-mile radius. And what's causing so much sickness? It turns out all these victims have one thing in common. They live next to a military base called Fort Detrick. 